Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The Internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com The people who classify themselves as white are not happy with their appearance. Now they've taught us to be unhappy about our appearance. You see, but they're very unhappy about their appearance. I think there's an article in the handout about a woman who was, white woman who was in Hawaii. And she said that being around the Hawaiian people and the Asian people, and she said she was tall and white and pale. She said she felt like a freak. And so then she started getting involved in genetic science. There's a high-stakes fight going on over who invented a technology that could revolutionize medicine and agriculture. A gene-editing technology called CRISPR could be worth billions of dollars, and it's not clear who owns the idea. As NPR's Richard Harris reports, U.S. patent judges will hear oral arguments tomorrow. It's not often you can use the phrase fascinating patent drama, but you can in this case. Law professor Jake Shurko got hooked on the feud in part because so much is at stake. The CRISPR-Cas9 technology allows scientists to make precise edits in DNA, and that ability could lead to whole new medical therapies, research tools, even new crops. This is arguably the biggest biotechnology breakthrough in the past 30 or 40 years. And controlling who owns the foundational intellectual property behind that is consequently pretty important. On one side of the dispute are Jennifer Doudna at the University of California, Berkeley, and her European colleague, Emmanuel Charpentier. When they filed their patent application, They did a great job disclosing how to use CRISPR for bacteria, but were a little bit lighter on details about how to use CRISPR in the cells of higher organisms. Like human cells. 
They were not the only people working on this revolutionary technology, however. Later in 2012, Feng Zhang at the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard files his patent application that gives a pretty detailed description about how to use CRISPR in the cells of higher organisms. The most important use of the technology is the ability to edit DNA in plants and animals. So Shirko at the New York Law School expects the outcome to hinge on who can claim that advance. Zhang's patent went through the process faster, so it was issued first. But when the Berkeley patent came up for a decision, the patent office stepped in to sort out exactly what the invention is and who invented it first. The dispute largely does appear like a winner-take-all affair. But the patent court could decide that there are distinct inventions, each meriting their own patents. Or it could decide that it's not patentable at all. And the stakes are enormous. Billions of dollars are potentially at stake for the inventors, the competing companies they've spun off to commercialize CRISPR, and their home universities. Bob Cook-Deegan at Arizona State University says, regardless of how this comes out, academic researchers can still use the CRISPR technology without worrying about ownership rights. But if you're doing any research that might eventually be commercially valuable, well, then you've got a problem. You'll need to buy a license from the technology's rightful owner whoever that ends up being. And the concern is how many licenses you're going to have to pick up and if there's going to be one dominant patent that everybody has to license from a particular firm. Some companies have already placed their bets, and they've licensed the right to use CRISPR from one or the other of the companies involved in the patent battle. Boston patent lawyer Bob Underwood says if that patent evaporates... I don't think you'd get your money back. And any inventions based on that patent wouldn't be protected or possibly legal to sell. So companies in this field are anxiously awaiting the outcome of the patent dispute. Tuesday's hearing is just one step in a process that's likely to last through 2017. Whatever the resolution is, if there's no settlement, we can expect appeals that will last for years. And in addition to the dollars, glory is also at stake. Richard Harris, NPR News. Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Hitch up your reindeer uh, Go straight to the ghetto Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Every country in Europe has its traditional Christmas characters, and in the Netherlands, there's one called Black Pete, a mischievous, impish man who helps hand out sweets to children. Lots of people dress up as him every Christmas. And since this involves white people blacking up, it's causing a lot of controversy in a country that's become more ethnically diverse. And when a black Dutch TV presenter, Sylvana Simons, criticised the tradition, she found herself the target of an offensive video. It featured her face superimposed on images of black American victims of lynching. And this mocked-up picture has been widely circulated online in the Netherlands. Our correspondent Anna Holligan asked Sylvana Simons about the video and what it's revealed about deep-rooted attitudes among some Dutch people. It was an iconic picture of black people being lynched, a direct referral to a time of which we thought we had left behind us. And by seeing that video, it reminded me of the fact that this is today's reality still. Your children have seen this. I have a 20-year-old daughter, a 24-year-old son. The night the video surfaced, 
My phone rang. I saw my daughter's name. I picked up the phone, and all I could hear was literally a baby crying, my baby crying. Um, she couldn't speak. She was just... I mean, this is her mother. I mean, it's even hard to explain. How would anyone feel if their mother was um, insulted and dehumanized in a way like this. I really felt uh, powerless because I couldn't, I couldn't take that away from her. I couldn't, I couldn't make her unsee what she'd seen. So the fact that I did speak up gave some people an excuse to now treat me um, as the foreigner uh, when before, you know, I was just Silvana. And I, I couldn't, even as a child, I couldn't, uh, not see the fact that he was trying to look like my dad at least, like, you know, really, really black, uh, with an afro, just like my dad. You, you can't um, voice the uncomfortable feeling, but, but, but it's there. And then at the same time, society seems to expect of you that you are enjoying all of what's going on. That Yes, there's a limit to what I am allowed to say and do in this country, even though I'm Dutch. I was born Dutch. I was born in a Dutch colony, so even if people don't like me being Dutch, really, it's not even my fault. I came to the Netherlands with my parents when I was a baby. I've, I went to school here. I developed myself as a, as a human being, as a woman. What I think I have brought to the surface is um, the bias and hypocrisy in which we treat Dutch people who are not white. Why is Black Pete so sensitive? In defending Black Pete, they find a way to vent the underlying racism because everybody will tell you Black Pete has nothing to do with racism and as soon as you question that you will find out that you know it's all about racism. If I show you my Instagram account it's just crazy. You know, come November, December, uh, I think about the color lipstick that I wear. I think about the type of earrings that I put on. I think about how I wear my hair. I, I just thought it was time for me to, to, to speak my truth. <laughs> Let me just open my Instagram and see what has been happening over the past few hours. Let's see what they say. Stop being so pathetic. You're ugly. Uh, oh, look. This, you, this year, you're the Black Pete. Oh, cry, cry Pete, with Sila Pete, like cry baby, but then, oh, this woman deserves to be hurt. This person says, are we supposed to let this woman destroy all of the Netherlands? I don't think so. Just throw her in front of the Ku Klux Klan and let them have their way with her. Dutch TV presenter Sylvana Simons, and she was speaking to the BBC's Anna Holligan. It was a heated meeting, to say the least. Calls for Charlottesville Vice Mayor Wes Bellamy to step down from his position. He has told us, in his own words, his disdain of women 
gays and white people. By keeping him on council, you are publicly agreeing with his comment. And calls for him to stay put. We will not drink the poison. We will not be manipulated. And we will not be cowed. We stand in solidarity with Mr. Bellamy. We will never allow the alt-right to target people of color in Charlottesville. At the heart of the debate, the discovery of old tweets from the councilman that many have described as racist, misogynistic, and homophobic. Racism is racism, and it should be opposed just as strongly when it's done by a black man as when it's done by a white man. Jason Kessler is the man who dug up the controversial tweets and posted them for the world to see. What Wes was saying were feelings, feelings, I don't like white people. White women smell like assault charges in deli meat. These aren't things that you can debate. These are feelings that introduce a serious bias and undermine his ability to do his job. But some, like Jen Lucas, disagree. We have lived so long in a time where people of color have been oppressed. And so anytime I see something that looks unfair, I want to speak up and stand up. Lucas and many others who voiced their opinion at the meeting denounced the calls for Bellamy's resignation as racial attacks that have no place in Charlottesville. I think, like most people think, that what he said years and years ago was not that cool. I, I, I'm not impressed with it. But I am impressed with who he is now and what he stands for now. And our city has a lot of people of color, and he's the only black city councilor. And I think it's important that he knows that so many people stand with him. In a statement to open the meeting, Bellamy apologized for the tweets in his own words, calling them the ignorant thoughts of a man in his 20s with a lot to learn. I hope that you will judge me for my actions today and not the words I wrote while still growing as a man. And I'm sorry that my words cause such pain to so many. They are no longer what I believe, and I would give anything to take them back, but I can't. I can only continue to demonstrate through my actions and my words today that I am a changed man. For Kessler, Bellamy's apology was not enough, and he's vowed to collect the nearly 600 signatures necessary to challenge his position. The writer, who has been accused of being a white nationalist, says he's not a racist, but was not afraid to speak out against so-called reverse racism. There's no advocates for white people. There's so many people who advocate for black people, and it's a good thing they do. But I, I'm the only one that has the courage to stand up and stand up for white people, even though I'm going to be called a racist. A view not shared by everyone. The community that supports West and progress in terms of equality is larger. And I hope that everybody can see that we came here to be heard and we mean it. For WMRA News, I'm Sefe Amokpai. I don't like when race gets out in the media because I don't think the media has a pure heart, as I call it. There are very few people who have a pure heart when it comes to race. Uh, racism is wrong in any shape, form. There are a lot of black people, people who are racist, too. I think sometimes when people talk about race, they act like only white people are racist. There are a lot of black people who are racist. It appears the path of Minnesota Congressman Keith Ellison to the top of the Democratic Party ranks will not go as smoothly as many believed. Tonight, Chief National Correspondent Ed Henry tells us how Ellison's past may be catching up with him. When President-elect Donald Trump appointed Steve Bannon to a top White House post, there was a full-court press from the media to get Republicans like Mitch McConnell to support or condemn Bannon for his ties to the alt-right movement. I'm not going to 
comment on uh, White House uh, personnel choices. And incoming Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer teed off on Bannon. The things he sa said are reprehensible and uh, I, I just, we're going to keep a really careful eye on the president and on him. Yet six days earlier, Schumer endorsed Minnesota Congressman Keith Ellison to chair the Democratic National Committee. Ellison, the first Muslim American elected to Congress, has also gotten the backing of liberal senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Even though Ellison wrote columns in law school defending Nation of Islam founder Louis Farrakhan's anti-Semitism. And now an audio tape from 2010 has surfaced in which Ellison declares Israel is running American foreign policy. The United States foreign policy in the Middle East is governed by what is good or bad through a country of 7 million people. While the Anti-Defamation League initially took a balanced view of Ellison's DNC candidacy, saying it appreciated his contrition about past statements, but had concerns about his commitment to Israel's security, after the tape surfaced, the ADL blistered him Thursday. Quote, Representative Ellison's remarks are both deeply disturbing and disqualifying. His words raise the specter of age-old stereotypes about Jewish control of our government. Top Democrats say Ellison has matured in recent years. So he has apologized, if my memory serves, or he says he regrets uh, some of those things, uh, and um, all of us wish uh, we had not said some things that we have said. Schumer has faced pressure from Jewish leaders in New York to back off Ellison, but today he put out a statement saying, I stand by Representative Ellison for DNC chair. We have discussed his views on Israel at length. And while I disagree with some of his past positions, I saw him orchestrate one of the most pro-Israel platforms in decades. Now, they're rallying around Ellison partly because nobody else is running. The only other person mulling it, former DNC chair Howard Dean, unexpectedly took himself out today. Meanwhile, Ellison aides say the congressman rejects anti-Semitism. Brett? Uh, Dean move is interesting. Ed, Surprise. thank you. I am not prejudice. Two Marist High School students who were expelled following a series of racist text messages claim that they were used as scapegoats. And they're now suing the school. CBS 2's Mike Puccinelli is at Marist High School with more on that suit. They are suing for a million dollars apiece and to be reinstated into their senior class here at Marist. The students are among five who were expelled from the Catholic High School last month after some racially insensitive text messages went public. The comments were made after an armed African-American man was killed by an off-duty Chicago police officer in Mount Greenwood. That killing led to black and blue Lives Matter protests in the neighborhood around the school. The two girls, who are white, say their reputations have been severely damaged and that they've been scorned by the public. Their attorney says any comments that were made were meant to be private and were publicized without the girls' permission. He also says an African-American football player advocated the killing of white people but was only counseled by school officials as opposed to being expelled like the girls. The girls' parents are suing for breach of contract and invasion of privacy, among other things. The school and principal are among the parties being sued. Now, school was canceled for a day last month. That over fears that a protest was going to be held by Black Lives Matter students outside the school. That protest ultimately was canceled. Now, we reached out to Marist officials for comment and have yet to hear back. Reporting in Mount Greenwood, Mike Puccinelli, CBS 2 News. All around the world. World, world, world. And then, of course, institutional examples of racism and the big 
Hairgate scandal that started Pretoria Girls High, of course, who's going to forget that? And I think a lot of the major, the year that was type of news programs will put the spotlight on that. Well, the has now, following a meeting with parents of children attending Pretoria Girls High, um, been a report that has been released that had uh, been compiled on the basis of an investigation into allegations of racism at the school. Uh, I had wonderful FOMO because of this news and uh, these tendencies of the state of uh, breaking important things on a Friday afternoon. And uh, the Gauteng Education MEC Panyazale Sufi. So I know that some of you know about these findings, but what we want to do on this show, of course, is to take the conversation further and just drill down into some of these findings as well as some of the really fascinating uh, recommendations in terms of the way forward. So I'll be in conversation with the MEC for the next 20 minutes or so. He's extremely busy fighting fires all over the place and still also having to plan proactively for the main part of his job, not just reacting to news. Panyaza, I, I mean, you know, obviously, look, we are all well-schooled in racism, just in virtue of living in this country. Um, as a commentator, I particularly yeah. enjoy thinking and writing about racism. Let's talk about this report. Um, for those who missed the news cycle on Friday, you know, because some of us actually start our weekends with Puza Thursday. What are the key findings that are the most important ones for you at a top line that comes out of this report? What disturbs me, serious to be quite frank, and thank you for this opportunity, is the confirmation of the report and subsequently in a meeting with the SGB and the senior management team that indeed uh, there were some acts uh, of racism at the school. One in particular where teachers were calling them as monkeys. Secondly, a teacher who deliberately pulled uh, a kump uh, from a rubbish bin and used that kump to come uh, uh, black learners' hair. Thirdly, which is very, very disturbing, is that learners, when they were taught about geography, uh, some of the learners, especially uh, black learners, um, were asked where they come from. If you come from, for example, Limpopo, you'll be told to stand on the north side, and we come from, uh, we speak South so it will be told to stand on the south side. And those that come from the eastern Cape will be told to stand on the eastern part, and others will be told to stand on the western part. But all white learners were left untouched. They remained seated. Mm. And fourth, which is unfortunate as well, is that learners uh, were not allowed to speak their um, African languages outside the schooling environment. Uh, and, and, and this pressurize them to deal with, uh, uh, not to attend to matters that they feel they need to attend on their own. For example, if they're playing uh, other sporting codes, uh, they could not be allowed to speak their home languages. So when you go through those reports, it's quite clear uh, that we need to move with speed, intervene, restore the prestige of the school, because they're a very important school. So I don't want to lose the prestige of the school, nor to lose the importance of that particular school in our society. Mm. That is why we've quickly wrapped in the Ahmed Katara Foundation, Nelson Mandela Foundation, coordinated by the retired judge Yvonne Mukhoro, to then take the school through on how to implement the recommendations of this report on the basis of uh, race relations, on the basis of uh, understanding the hair of other races, and uh, also on the basis of ensuring that the school become a model school compared to other schools within our province. Mm. Now, what is interesting is that the findings clearly show that the values of the school, the institutional norms of the school, are quite frankly sick. And that is, that is my choice of wording. This is not just about hair. It's also about language. It's about a sense of feeling 
to the extent that this is possible at all in an education environment, at home, at ease in these schools. And that's why the findings are actually quite comprehensive. Does the school get, Panyaza, in your opinion, that this is not just about problem-solving one small little skeleton from the closet Nyana, that fundamentally here, in terms of education, this goes to the hidden curriculum of the school? I agree. I fully agree. I mean, the, um, I know uh, during those skirmishes with learners, uh, there was one learner that came to me to say, let me see, uh, this school, yes, I know it's a girl's school. Yes, I applied willingly, knowing that it's a girl's school. But it's teaching me to be a lady. But my sexual orientation is different. Uh, I don't want to be a lady. I've got my own sexual orientation. But the environment does not allow me uh, to openly and fully practice my sexual orientation. And therefore, I want to be protected. I want support. So mm. what you are saying is that there is a cultural bias of some sort that we need to work out. That is why we are pulling all the experts uh, just to assist the school, but at the same time ensuring that uh, we maintain the prestige, we maintain the academic excellence of the school, and also maintain discipline because it's very, very important. We don't allow it, if we don't allow discipline to be the hallmark of a school, then we don't have a school. And that is why our approach as a department is very, very simple. We're not going to be punitive, we're going to be corrective, but obviously, if a teacher of 32 years of experience called a learner a monkey or use the K word or uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call uh, black learners uh, and, and, and shout at them uh, and say all sorts of things that mm. particular person need assistance immediately. Okay. So Absolutely. so those are the things that we're going to uh, do and intervene immediately and provide all the relevant assistance that is needed. Mm. Let, let's work a little bit more precisely through some of that assistance, the recommendations mm-hmm. and the way forward. And there are too many. I think they are all awesome. And if all of them were mm-hmm. implemented with goodwill, then I think it, the school could genuinely be mm-hmm. role modeling different different ways of being Definitely. to many other schools. Yeah. The first one here, which many of my listeners are also mm-hmm. tweeting about, disciplinary action should be taken against educated where there is sufficient information of wrongdoing. What does that mean? It means that where we believe that uh, it matters beyond correction, for example, it's going to be practically impossible to correct some situation. We need to take those disciplinary action. Here, there are teachers that uh, were fingered. We gave them time to come and to state their side of their story. They refused. They didn't cooperate with the investigation. They showed the department the middle finger. We have not sure his, but institute is not hearing because you can't have a, a teacher who does not obey rules of the games, who does not respect the department, who does not respect the call of the of the SGP and feels that they can do as they wish. So there we need to intervene and intervene immediately with a disciplinary action. Those are kind of actions that I'm talking about. Is that happening? Who's going to take this disciplinary action? The department is taking that disciplinary action. And, is, and where is that formulated? Uh, we've already formulated uh, the charge sheet uh, and we've already notified uh, the affected educators that uh, on this call we are taking action and these are the dates of the hearings. And the, the, I really believe uh, by mid-January next year we would have the outcome of the disciplinary hearings. Mm. I want to move on to some of the yeah. recommendations are really fantastic because they speak to systemic issues across the schooling system. For example... When it comes to the school governing bodies, they often do not reflect the demographic of the student makeup. And, of course, there are other complicated reasons why some of our parents don't get involved. And that speaks to the hidden curriculum. My mom, 
uh, bless his soul, and um, my dad would never have taken part in mm. these structures because they never had a sense of ownership over former whites-only schools. Mm. How, do we, how do we change that? Do you have any prerogatory powers or anything of the sort to try and get more schools to take that seriously? Unfortunately not, and that's one element that uh, that is why we brought the national minister to assist us because uh, I believe that we need some form of legislation or support uh, to find a way of dealing with uh, the gender balance. Not only the STB, uh, you check majority of our former model school, uh, 80% of our learner population is black, but 100% of the teacher population is white. Uh, so the only time... <laughs> those black learners intact uh, with, with, with an African adult. It's either they're making tea or they're preparing the garden, uh, which is something that I'm not comfortable. I don't think that that's the way that we need to have a schooling environment to be constructed. So it's one aspect that we need to find the mechanism of dealing with it. But when we presented this evidence to the STP, uh, they indeed stated their case uh, that they're open. Uh, they encourage people to stand but unfortunately, unfortunately, there is a great apathy in that particular school in terms of participation in governance structure. So I met with the parents and I, I, I raised this matter sharply with them that the responsibility to run education actually lies in their hands. Uh, they, they've written me endless letters that they want their, their children to learn Corsa or to learn Sisotu in that school. And there's only one to pay the class, class mm. there, and they want that class to, 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 to be expanded. But the decision to determine language lies with them. So... They must participate active, actively in the, in the school affairs and they'll be in a position to achieve whatever they want to achieve. Mm-hmm. I don't want us to lose sight that things are getting better. Each successive generation uh, seems to be making progress in changing attitudes when it comes to race. doesn't mean we're in a post-racial society. It doesn't mean that racism is eliminated. But, you know, when I talk to Malia and Sasha uh, and I listen to their friends and I see them interact, uh, they're better than we are. They're better than we were on these issues. And that's true in every community uh, that I've visited all across the country. A student in the Highland School District is finding out firsthand how social media can come back to haunt you. A recent post has gotten a lot of attention, but for all the wrong reasons. Brenda Waters has more. A posting on social media has landed a student here at Highlands High School in a lot of trouble. This is what was posted on Snapchat a federal hunting license referencing the N-word. Nigga! I spoke with Dr. Michael Balabach, the superintendent of the Highland School District, via phone. This is a horrible type of a situation, uh, totally unacceptable to the Highland School District. We would not tolerate this, and we're going to definitely follow our, our board policy in uh, issuing consequences for this action. The district found out about the posting at the end of the school day yesterday when someone brought it to the attention of the principal. It wasn't long before the student behind it was pinpointed. It was a single student who found something on the web and posted it to social media. And uh, then once that happened, it, it got forwarded to multiples and um, that's when we became aware. I showed the posting to several in this community. Oh, want to get? <gasps> Wait a minute. Going to hunt, hunt us? Yeah, hunt us down. We're all the same. Mm-hmm. Color has no bearing on anything. We're all the same inside. I think it's an high rage. Mm-hmm. I think it's just stupid. Are you shocked to see this? Or hear uh, about it? 
I, I actually am. I really am. That's totally uncalled for. Totally, totally uncalled for. The superintendent won't say if the student has been expelled or suspended, but he did tell me the student is no longer in school here. In Natrona Heights, Brenda Waters. I think what's going to save race relations in the country is biracial relationships, right? Mm -hmm. and, and look, sooner or later, whether white people like it or not, we're going to have people who are mixed race, and, and that, that population of people is only going to increase. That is just raw uh, hatred. Um, anger is one thing, raw hatred is a different thing. Swastikas and white power spray painted all over the walls. Joe and Pat Jude say this hate crime happened at their Price Hill rental property while they were away for Thanksgiving. Paint splattered all over the staircase. The vandals even threw some in the oven and in this fridge. Their basement flooded. The criminals ripped apart pipes so water would flow straight through the floors, collapsing the ceiling. To make matters worse, they poured concrete in the sinks, toilet, and tub. Look at they put a plunger in there so they could make sure that the cement made it down into the drains. I mean, come on. A stainless steel fridge now stolen and a bookcase from Pat's grandfather. It's not even like, you know, just one small thing. It's every room, every floor has to be redone and it's just, it's overwhelming. The banister broken and beer cans were left behind in the backyard. Mayor John Cranley issued a statement today on the hate crimes saying, quote, racism and bigotry are not and will not be tolerated in this city. This crime is not only an attack on an innocent family, it is an attack on our values. For this family, this is another blow after losing their son to suicide in 2010. The Jews say he was bullied for being biracial. We're going back in times and not forward. 100%. These people need to be brought to justice because it may be your house next time, it may be your daughter's house next time, and we need to stop it. We've got to stop this stuff from going on. Now, a new tenant was set to move in on December 1st. Those plans have been put on hold while all of the repairs are being made. The Judes did tell me tonight they're offering a $1,000 reward for anyone who comes forward with information that leads to an arrest and a conviction. Reporting live outside District 3 headquarters, Amanda Kelly, WLWT News 5. All right, thanks a lot, Amanda. The Judes say they are so grateful for the outpouring of support from the community. They started a GoFundMe page to help pay for the repairs. At last check, it had already raised more than $15,000 in just one day. Well, tonight the FBI has joined the investigation into a hate crime that took place inside the home of New York Giants fullback Nikita Whitlock. The burglary took place Tuesday night, but as News 12 New Jersey Rick Holmes reports, it's what those burglars left behind that made this so personal. New York Giants fullback Nikita Whitlock walks us through the home that he shares with his wife and son just a few miles from MetLife Stadium. The walls are being painted to conceal racist graffiti, but the effects on his family will never really be concealed. I don't think it was, it was uh, because of who I am. I think it's because of what I am. Um, Which is? African-American. Whitlock says he was out of the house for only three hours, but came home to racist graffiti, a swastika, and broken glass. And so when I flipped on the light, uh, there was a swastika to my right, big swastika to my right, and then 
there was uh, going up the stairs was Trump. I'm not a Trump supporter, but I don't like that they're using him for a personal decision that they made. The incident is making national headlines. Whitlock says he received a call of support from Giants team owner John Mara. The second-year player, who is currently on injured reserve, says he met with the FBI at his home for five hours Thursday. Whitlock says this is the second time that his home has been burglarized since Thanksgiving week, though this is the first time graffiti was left behind. I think this is positive. I think getting the word out that, you know, this happens, um, starting a dialogue that racism is still alive and well. Whitlock says he's speaking out because he wants those who did this to know that oppression, violence, and racism have no place in his community, his neighborhood, or his home. In Munaki, Rick Holmes, News 12, New Jersey. And the mayor of Munaki and the Anti-Defamation League has come out with statements denouncing the incident. He says his family is moving at the end of the month, a decision that was made before the break-ins. No, that stuff is still alive and uh, it still exists. Broncos wide receiver Brandon Marshall, I shouldn't say wide receiver, defensive player, is talking about this, a racist, hate-filled, and threatening letter he received today at Broncos headquarters. Thanks for joining us here at 5. I'm Mike Barzin for Jeremy Hubbard. And I'm Aristea Brady. Marshall posted a picture of the letter on Instagram along with his reaction to it. Fox 31's Julie Hayden has been following the story all day, joining us live now with what she's learned. Julie? You know, it's really hard to describe this letter. It's filled with basically every racist name you could even imagine. It's calling Marshall those names. And then the letter additionally threatens to physically hurt him. The letter is full of racial slurs and profanity. Denver Broncos linebacker Brandon Marshall posted it on Instagram today, saying he got it at work. The anonymous writer starts out telling Marshall he is, quote, a worthless, expletive racial slur. The letter calls Marshall the N-word, a monkey, and worse. It says, we hate you, go back to Africa. Go back to Africa? It also threatens Marshall, saying, quote, your time is coming, watch out, racial slur. And it ends with this, we are channeling a devastating hard hit for you, something to make you an invalid in a wheelchair. Well, today, Marshall called the letter disgusting and disheartening. Oh, man, it was uh, extremely concerning. Um, you know, um, to me, you know, it just lets me know. You know, that, that stuff still exists. You know, um, that's the reason I put it out, to expose, um, you know, what everybody thought you know, maybe was, was put, to, put to bed, put to rest. But, you know, that stuff is still alive and uh, it still exists. Marshall drew controversy earlier in the football season when he decided to take a knee during the national anthem. He has since decided to stand. He says there have been other harsh letters, but nothing like this. Just so many, you know, racist uh, derogatory terms that was in it, you know what I'm saying? It was just a bunch of crazy things that was in it. Uh, I'm like, man, this is wild, you know what I'm saying? So that kind of stood out to me, um, that someone would have that much hate or malice towards me or, or put that much energy into writing something like that uh, and sending it to me. Hello, blame a nigger. I just ran my car to treat my whole family dead. I don't want to be blamed. Get a nigger, get a nigger. Yeah, we got one here with a bad driving record. I sent him right over. Oh, thank you. Thank you. God bless you, blame a nigger.
firefighter in New York is facing arson charges after he allegedly set his own home on fire and then proceeded to frame Black Lives Matter as the perpetrators. Uh, now, Jason Stokes is the name of the uptown or upstate New York firefighter. And uh, according to a short investigation, authorities were able to find that he was the one that kind of set this up. So a family member said at the time that they believed their home was targeted because of the Blue Lives Matter flag flying out in front. So they have a flag flying out in front, and so they thought, okay, well, someone set our house on fire. I mean, none of us did it. Um, he had his family members in the house while he did this, okay, risking their lives. Now, I want to show you uh, a press conference that just recently happened where authorities kind of detail what they saw, what they experienced, and why it is that this man is facing charges. Uh, it is alleged that Jason Stokes set a fire to his own home back on August 10th while his wife and two teenage children were in the home. It is also alleged that there were gas cans, full gas cans and other containers full of flammable material placed throughout the home as if it were would be an obstacle course to get around them. The Endicott Fire Department responded as well as the West Corners Fire Department and they were able to uh, put out the fire and subsequent fire uh, quickly. And it was a very dangerous situation for them to be in. Uh, as they entered the house, they were unaware of canisters of gasoline, uh, which had been placed throughout the house. So just to give you a few more details before we dive in with commentary, um, investigators also found the message, lie with pigs, fry like bacon, written on some siding, outside the burned home. So again, an effort to kind of frame Black Lives Matter activists, uh, Black Lives Matters activists, uh, when in reality he's the one who set his own home on fire. Okay, so this has a couple of different layers of crazy. Um, so first, uh, on the personal level, his family's in the house when he set the fire. What kind of a lunatic does that? And then you set the booby traps, again, your, ha your family's in the house when you set the booby traps set to explode. Then your fellow firefighters are going to come put the fire out, and you've got booby traps in there. You've greatly endangered their lives, lunatic twice over. And the third part of the lunacy is all, apparently, I don't know if there's also an insurance reason for this or whatever other crazy reason he had in his mind, but certainly part of the motive is very clear. He wanted to blame Black Lives Matter. Man, how obsessed are people? They don't have anything real on Black Lives Matter. So this is now how many stories that we've done where people pretend that it's Black Lives Matter that did yeah. it because they don't have any real stories. No, but that's the incredible thing, right? Um, he, they keep accusing Black Lives Matter for, you know, endorsing or advocating for violence, uh, leading to the terror, you know, of, of police officers, when in reality there was literally one instance where a couple individuals chanted something offensive to police officers. That was it. Right. And then 
But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the evidence is. It doesn't matter what the truth is. It's just like this past election. People are going to reject information that does not reinforce what they already believe and what they want to believe, right? So people still treat Black Lives Matter as if they're all these crazy terrorists that are coming out to kill police officers when that's not the case. Look at this guy. He almost killed his own family members. You know who's a terrorist? This guy's a terrorist. Absolutely. So pro-police websites started immediately saying Black Lives Matter are terrorists after this incident. Now, I don't blame them for not figuring out that this guy's crazy. I get it. They had the wrong information. So I'm not overly blaming them for that. But boy, they were ready to call black people's terrorists right away. Okay, But okay, no, that's okay. We found out who the real terrorist was. And it's Jason Stokes. He set those traps for his own friends in the fire department and for his own family. I mean, what a lunatic terrorist. Because you, I didn't use the word terrorist. You used the word terrorist. So I assume all those pro-police websites right now are talking about the terrorist Jason Stokes. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should put him in Guantanamo Bay. I mean, he's a terrorist, right? Oh, you didn't write blog posts about that. Oh, that's interesting. Now, but don't get me wrong. There, a lot of people are angry with him. And mm-hmm. I'm going to get back to giving authorities credit on this in a second. But one more thing. When I saw pigs in a blanket fry them like bacon and that he had written that as if Black Lives Matter. Now, I already knew the story was he had rigged it because that's the whole point of the story. But if I was, I think that if I was an investigator, I would have been like, no, it's not that. You know why? Because it was one chant in one city that happened once, and by the way, the cops were laughing along with it on the tape. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. so they, they, those protesters and the cops were talking all throughout. That part of the story gets left out every time, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, but that's not a thing that Black Lives Matter thinks. Like, okay, yeah, let's let's fry them like bacon. Okay, uh, and they're chanting it all over the country, and they take action based on it. Organizers of Black Lives Matter, they don't think the way you think, like, and the way that you think that they think. Right? They think like, oh, they're out to get us, and they want to fry us like bacon. But that's not what they actually think. So you got one tape on that Fox News has replayed a thousand times on air now. The people who are obsessed with pigs in a blanket fry them like bacon are conservatives, not Black Lives Matter activists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're, that's not something they repeat. It's not something that they give a damn about. It's not a slogan of theirs, right? But, but conservatives, they're like, oh, I knew it. I knew it. They're anti-cops. Oh, I hate them, right? They're the ones that repeat that statement. You see that statement anywhere. It is almost always written by a guy who watches Fox News, okay? Now, finally, to come back to the authorities, great job. They caught the guy. They figured out what actually happened. They didn't go along with the whole Black Lives Matter stuff. Yep. They investigated, and they found the right culprit. So to the uh, New York cops, firefighters uh, who solved the case, thank you. Two years after his release from jail, Khalif Browder hanged himself at his home in the Bronx. He was 22 years old. been played guilty then my story would have been never been heard nobody would have took the time to listen to me i'd have been just another criminal the new york times has published a startling report on the racial disparities in new york state's parole system an analysis of thousands of cases finds that fewer than one in six black or hispanic men were released after their first parole hearing that's compared to one in four white men who were released just after one hearing joining us now to talk about the times investigation is new york times reporter michael schwartz michael good morning 
Good morning. So you report that parole has kind of devolved into this hurried, often chaotic process. Could you describe these hearings and how they can disadvantage black or Hispanic inmates? Sure. First of all, the hearings, um, uh, there are a lot of them. The board sees as many as 80 per week, and that week consists of just two days when they're actually uh, conducting these hearings. And so uh, most of these hearings, as we're told, take about uh, 10 minutes. In that 10 minutes, a uh, parole officer, a panel, a, a panel of parole board commissioners, as they're called, has to uh, weigh an inmate, a number of factors. They have to weigh an inmate's disciplinary record in prison. They have to weigh an inmate's uh, criminal record and uh, uh, look at the programs that the inmate has uh, uh, taken while in prison. And then the inmate gets a chance to make his or her, her case. So oftentimes they don't have uh, much of a sense of what they're supposed to say uh, uh, to, uh, to, to, to make their case. And so what, what happens is you have this very, very rushed system. Uh, also, you have a system where uh, the parole board is dominated uh, by white men and women, largely from upstate and largely with um, uh, law enforcement backgrounds or backgrounds in victim services. And so you have a board that doesn't look much like the, uh, the inmate population, which is predominantly uh, black and Latino. You also write that uh, some of these uh, hearings are done via video screen. Is that right? Actually, most of the, the hearings right now are done via video screen. Um, uh, just a handful of prisons around the state uh, do in-person interviews. And when we spoke to uh, four former commissioners and uh, their service spanned between 2000 and 2014, they thought, each one of them thought that this uh, gives the inmate, uh, puts the inmate at a disadvantage, that an in-person interview, uh, you know, in, at an in-person interview, an inmate has more of a chance to make a case for themselves and more of a chance to make a connection, which really seems to be, uh, a key factor uh, in in uh, getting a positive decision from the parole board, making some kind of connection with them. And as we point out in the story, uh, it is often uh, white inmates who have more in common, uh, white inmates, particularly from upstate, who have more in common with the parole board commissioners that they're seeing that have an opportunity to make this connection. Yeah, talk a little bit more about the parole board itself. Uh, you write that political patronage is an issue here. Uh, how does this system work? How does one get a job on this board? Uh, it's an appointment. The governor appoints you and uh, the Senate approves you. Uh, in, in practice, uh, these uh, positions are worked out uh, uh, behind the scenes, as are a lot of things in Albany. Uh, the uh, confirmation process, and we've watched several of these, you know, it happens very quickly. Uh, a, a candidate uh, has just a few minutes, uh, reads out their credentials, and usually they're unanimously approved. Um, we found several uh, cases where uh, the uh, uh, parole board commissioners are longtime donors to uh, local and national campaigns, both on the Republican side and on the Democrat side. Uh, and these are not, you know, these are, these are, this is not part-time work. This is a full-time job. They get over $100,000 a year. Uh, in their salaries. Um, and so uh, it's not something that's sort of a side job for these people. Have you got any response uh, to your report, to your findings from the State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision? Uh, nothing yet, for, aside from what's in the story um, uh, and, and, and from the governor's office as well. Uh, they, are, uh, they do insist that they're making changes to make the process fair. There are rules uh, that the administration has proposed that would uh, do away with uh, the practice of using boilerplate, uh, boilerplate decisions 
what we were what we're told is that often commissioners will come in and sometimes even have their minds made up about which way they're going to go in an inmate in any particular inmate's case and might even have uh, a bit the basic decision drawn out already what the uh, governor's office says is that there are rules uh, that are being proposed and in, in the midst of public comment period right now that would uh, make uh, commissioners give more of a specific reason for denying uh, denying an inmate's parole. Okay, Michael Schwartz, reporter for the New York Times. Thanks so much. Thank you. Mama says police mistreat black people. Is it true? Uh, yeah, is it true? Is that true? Yeah, is it yeah, true? Is that true? Right now, live at 5, a Cedar Rapids officer is cleared of any charges in a shooting that left a man paralyzed. A grand jury made that decision, and it was officially announced this afternoon by Lynn County Attorney Jerry Vandersanden during a press conference. CBS 2 News reporter Dora Miller joins us live with the latest. That's right, Kelly. The biggest issue today, though, was that Mitchell did not testify in front of a grand jury before they reached their decision. Lynn County Attorney Jerry Vandersanden says that Mitchell was contacted and his attorney. They were contacted multiple times and they were still not able to interview him. The grand jury only had the dash cam video and a statement from Officer Lucas Jones from this incident, but that was it. It is important to note Vandersanden did mention that there was no audio with that video, so they could only see what happened. Vandersanden says the grand jury apparently did not need it. He says, quote, the decision was made based off of actions and not words. We also found that Mitchell did have marijuana in the vehicle and investigators did find evidence on a cell phone that they recovered that he did have intent to sell that. Vander Sandin says when Officer Jones stopped him, he smelled drugs as he got closer to the vehicle and he was safe to assume that there could have been weapons in association with the narcotics that he found because that's typically what happens. And Vander Sandin did try to give us an idea because there was a big question about exactly what happened, what led up to the altercation and how it escalated into shooting. Vander Sandin tried to explain that. Take a listen. And as it began, the, the gear mechanism is on the steering column. And as it began to reach for that, that's when Officer Jones began to shout his directives, don't do that, don't put it in gear, don't accelerate. And his, at that same time, his left arm was trapped somehow in the truck. He could not get back out. And this is as the truck is beginning to move. So as the truck is moving forward and accelerating away, that's when Officer Jones reached for a service weapon. He fired the shots, actually, as the truck's moving forward. Now, we mentioned no charges will be filed against Officer Lucas Jones. They will also not be filed against Jeremy Mitchell. Vander Sandin says that Mitchell's condition had a lot to do with that, the fact that he's paralyzed now from the neck down. He said he didn't want to add to that. They also mentioned that uh, we do not know if Officer Jones or when he will return back to work. Um, Chief uh, Wayne German was there, and he did mention that there is an ongoing investigation through CRPD, so they have to go through that right now. So Jones is still on leave. And that dash cam video, that's been something that's been talked about throughout this whole entire case that will not be released right now. Vanderstand and said there was an agreement with the family that they would not release that video to the public until the family views it first. They have not viewed that and they have not been able to get in contact with the family so that they could do so. So we'll have to wait to see exactly what happened on that dash cam video and what the grand jury uh, based their decision off of. Covering the corridor tonight in Cedar Rapids, Dora Miller, CBS 2 News. If I were you, I would say yes. Speak, Lord. Speak to me. Speak to me. Speak, Lord. Oh, speak, Lord. Speak to me. Won't you speak to me? Speak.
A North Texas minister says God protected him on I-20 yesterday as an angry driver riddled his SUV with bullets. Anthony Edwards says the driver pulled up next to him near Hampton Road in the Redbird area of Dallas and fired at least nine shots. Fox News Lynn Ann Wynn reports. Dallas police are investigating the incident as an aggravated assault, but the man who was shot at describes a road rage incident in which he was shot at nine times. He said all he was trying to do was pass the driver. I'm like, oh my God, I'm about to, I'm about to die. And the first thing I thought about was my kids. Anthony Edwards is a father of six, a preacher, and most recently, a graduate of Dallas Baptist University. He says he was headed to school Thursday afternoon to pick up some transcripts when he tried to pass a slow-moving car on I-20 near Highway 67. That's when the 2010 gray Kia Soul sped up behind him. He rolled down the window, and I said, I put my hands, hey, what's going on? And all of a sudden, I heard gunshots. One, two, three, four, five gunshots in the passenger side. Two more into the headrest. And another two into the driver's side. One bullet came right in front of me out of my driver's side door. In total, nine gunshots, causing Edwards to swerve off the road, plunging down an embankment. I got out the car. I realized I was alive. First of all, I was thanking God that I was alive. Not one of those bullets, nor the crash, seriously injured Edwards. The doctor said he's never seen somebody get shot at nine times and live. He walked away from the crash with graze marks from the gunshots on his elbow, knee, neck, and shoulder. Some might call him lucky. I can't believe this is happening, and how can I survive? He calls it divine intervention. The Lord is my shield. He's my buckler. And uh, the Bible also says, touch not mine anointed, nor do my prophets no harm. It's with those scriptures and principles, I knew that no bullet could touch my body. Dallas police are investigating, but so far have not made any arrests. Edward says he hopes his attacker is caught, but he's not going to let this stop him from pursuing his dreams of law school and beyond. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. When Ann Wynn, Fox 4 News. How come Chris Rock can do a routine and everybody finds it hilarious and groundbreaking and then I go and do the exact same routine, same comedic timing, and people file a complaint to corporate? Is it because I'm white and Chris is black? There's a lot of black people who are racist too. So we're going to reenact this with a more positive outcome. I will play the Chris Rock guy. Every time, every time black people want to have a good time, some ignorant ass I take care of my kids. I always want credit for something they're supposed to do. What you want, cookie? The minutiae of why Ronald Gasser was arrested and booked with manslaughter and the death of former NFL player Joe McKnight, Sheriff Newell Norman had other things to get off his chest. This isn't about race. Well, get that out your mind, buddy. Not a single witness has said up to this day that there was one racial slur uttered during the course of these events. 
The sheriff didn't restrain his words as he slammed those who questioned his department's motives in not arresting Gasser right away for shooting McKnight following a road rage incident. And he took up for some African-American elected officials along with religious leaders who he said didn't rush to judgment. We want justice now, and if we don't get it now and we don't get it our way, we're going to start saying things and doing things until we get it our way. He read from text messages uttering the N-word and other racial slurs he said were written to leaders who gave the process time to work. And I'm sure you see the emotion in me because it's not fair. It's not fair for him to be called you punk-ass Uncle Tom Coon. We saw you sell out to them, you rat-ass faggot punk. That's the tone of what we're calling our elected leaders for standing up and simply saying, let justice prevail and let the process take its course. To go on to say, you ass-kissing faggot that has done little to our community, all we know is that you are a bitch puppet, you, you rat-ass looking coon on TV, I bet they made you say that puppet boy. I know what I see. I know that Norman is a piece of shit, and you stood behind that white boy with that bullshit nigga. You won't even stand with your people, you self-serving son of a bitch. Really? We stand here today with a legitimate discontent with the way that this situation was handled concerning the man who killed an unarmed man. A coalition of ministers addressed the media soon after. So we are not here to celebrate, but to be emphatic in our call for justice. We demand that Mr. Gasser be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. But the ministers who met at this church wouldn't comment specifically on what Sheriff Norman had to say at his press conference. We are praying and inclusive in our prayer is the sheriff as well. They believe Gasser should have been arrested right away given he'd been involved in another road rage incident 10 years ago. Former criminal court judge and New Orleans NAACP President Morris Reed thinks Gasser is getting off easy. Well, I think it should be second degree murder just based upon uh, tradition and precedent here in this parish. He defends those who protested. The Constitution allows folks to protest and, and, and demonstrate uh, when they're dissatisfied with the, uh, the, the manner in which government is proceeding. And uh, he's a government official and he's going to be subject to criticism. Bishop J.D. Wiley, spokesman for the ministers who met with the sheriff last week, thanked the community for its patience and Norman for his swift action. A community prayer service will be held tomorrow. Black Lives don't matter, and neither does video. The trial of the killer cop who shot an unarmed black man named Walter Scott is off, hung jury. If the videotaped killing of Walter Scott wasn't shock enough, the hung jury certainly suffices. The images are, to say the least, chilling. A middle-aged black man is seen fleeing in terror from a calm, younger white man. The man appears to be one not accustomed to running easily, yet he is running away from the calm-faced white man. The white man pulls his weapon, aims, and fires, shot after shot after shot after shot, eight shots in all. The black man in the bright green 
shirt crumbles to the earth and dies. The white cop calmly bends over and picks up a box with wires and walks over to the body and drops the box down. That video apparently wasn't enough, at least to one of the jurors who promptly refused to convict ex-cop Michael Schlager of the killing. Hung jury, the murder of Walter Scott, caught on tape, proves, if more proof be needed, that black lives don't matter, at least for a juror at his murder trial. And guess what? Apparently, videotape doesn't matter when a black man gets killed by a white cop. Remember when MOVE member Delbert Africa, unarmed, was beaten, punched, kicked, and stomped by white cops in Philadelphia? A white judge dismissed the videotape evidence of his beating and dismissed an imported jury and acquitted three cops. The beating and kicking of Rodney King on tape by the LAPD, remember? A predominantly white jury ignored the video and acquitted the cops. The Black Lives Matter movement exists because, well, black lives don't matter, even if it's shown on videotape. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. We do not know whether the killer of Reverend Pickney and eight others knew all of this history. But he surely sensed the meaning of his violent act. It was an act that drew on a long history of bombs and arson and shots fired at churches. Not random, but as a means of control, a way to terrorize and oppress. An act that he imagined would incite fear and recrimination, violence and suspicion. An act that he presumed would deepen divisions that trace back to our nation's original sin. Oh, but God works in mysterious ways. third day of testimony is wrapped up in the federal death penalty trial of accused Emanuel AME church shooter Dylan Roof. Roof faces 33 federal charges, including hate crimes. Another emotional day in the courtroom as the jury viewed Roof's confession, which was taped after he was captured in Shelby, North Carolina. We continue our live team coverage downtown. We'll begin with Raphael James. So, Raphael, the uh, video confession, Roof uh, talked about his motives in that confession that you watched in the courtroom today. He did, Debbie. That confession took center stage today. In it, he admitted that he was the shooter, that he killed several people, although when the confession was taped, he didn't know exactly how many people had died as a result of that shooting at the time. But in that confession, almost two hours long, he admitted things and he brought up reasons that he planned this in the first place. Uh, he says he first became interested in 
the phenomenon of black on white crime after the Trayvon Martin case. You'll remember that's the case of a young black male who was gunned down by what some say is an over-aggressive neighborhood watch guy, and after an altercation, he shot and killed Trayvon Martin. He tried to figure out what's the big deal. He went online, WikiLeaks, trying to get more information. He says he came across in his research, in his search, the statistics of black crimes against white people. And that, he said, sparked his interest, and he continued to do research. And he decided within himself that the skinheads, according to the testimony, skinheads weren't doing anything to help black people, or white people, excuse me. The KKK wasn't doing anything, so he decided it was up to him to do something, and he said, that's what I did. Carter Coyle was there, too, and also part of the testimony this afternoon was a journal, which yielded even more insight into Dylan Roof's psyche. Cole, Carter? And Raphael, a former SLED CSI agent, Brittany Burke, was back on the stand today to go over the contents of that journal. She testified yesterday about the crime scene at the church. Well, today she walked the jury through what she found in Roof's car. For the first time, we're learning more about two notes, first of all, that were in that car. One, Roof wrote to his mom and one to his dad. Uh, he said in the note to his mother, he knew what he did would have repercussions for their family. And for that, quote, I am truly sorry. As childish as it sounds, I wish I was in your arms. I love you, Dylan. Burke also read parts of a journal to uh, the jur jury that she found in Ruth's car. It, in it, there are different sections titled things like blacks, Jews, religion, psychology, homosexuals, and um Underneath each of those sections, he detailed long explanations for his extreme hatred for each of those groups. He wrote that he considered them lesser than white people and basically outlined why he deeply believes in segregation. He wrote that he did regret never having fallen in love. Now, prosecutors are expected to wrap up their witnesses next week. Judge Gergel said if Roof is found guilty and they move on to a sentencing phase, that that would not happen around the Christmas holiday, that that would plan to pick back up on January 3rd. Roth, back to you. Hey, Carter, thank you very much. And our Liza Lucas was also in the courtroom for parts of that testimony. She said the overall sense was heaviness. She'll be joining us in just a few moments to tell us more. Back to you in the studio. Thank you, Raphael. We'll look forward to hearing that. Context of white supremacy, Gus T. Renegade, and for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, December 10th, 2016. So I have been told this is our weekly compensatory call in. Uh, this program is specifically designed uh, for victims of racism, black people to dial in, uh, share their thoughts, views, observations uh, about things that have taken place over the last seven days. Uh, the number to dial is 641-715-3640 and the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Number again, 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. 
press star 6 if you would like to participate. A couple quick things uh, before we get to some of the listeners who dialed in. Number one, we are listener-supported counter-racist radio. You can visit the blog at racism-notes.blogspot.com. Racism-notes.blogspot.com. PayPal button is in the top right corner. If you are not into PayPal, you can drop us a physical mailing. Excuse me, you can email me at untiljustice at gmail.com and we will get you a physical mailing address. Uh, the email again, untiljustice at gmail.com. And huge thanks. We are uh, slowly uh, encroaching on our eight year anniversary uh, coming up in 2017. Uh, thanks to all the folks who have invested, supported, kept us rolling. Uh, for nearly a decade. I hope it has helped victims of racism get a better understanding of what racism, white supremacy is, how it works. Uh, A few quick things that I wanted to touch on. Uh, Number one, uh, Joe McKnight, the former NFL player, black male who was shot and killed uh, by Ronald Gasser. Uh, We had an audio clip about that this week uh, and last week. It happened uh, towards the end of last week down in uh, New Orleans. He has been uh, Mr. Glasser, he has been charged with uh, manslaughter, this uh, white male suspected race soldier. The NFL, the New York Jets specifically, football team, they did a moment of silence. They played on Monday Night Football this week, the New York Jets did, and they did a moment of silence. Joe McKnight was a former New York Jet, so they wanted to recognize him. But the thing, when they made the announcement, they said, Joe McKnight lost his life. And I thought, wow, that is an incorrect and euphemistic way of saying that some, as I stated, suspected race soldier gunned him down on the side of the road. That is very different than he lost his life. Uh, And I just I really make an effort to emphasize whites. They do that sort of thing on a regular basis, not using the most accurate terms to describe how they victimize, terrorize, rape and pillage black people. They will pussyfoot it and give you some sort of expression like that. Joe McKnight lost his life. Moving forward, I I posted this online, but I just think it is uh, important. Uh, Joe McKnight, and I thought this immediately, I just, it took me a moment last week to confirm after he was killed, but Joe McKnight uh, and this uh, white terrorist, they went across the Crescent City Connection. This is in New Orleans. They went across the Crescent City Connection, and apparently that's where some of this incident started, uh, where Mr. Glasser got upset or whatever back and forth that led to this white man killing this unarmed black male. But the Crescent City Connection, that is the bridge that was blocked by armed police officers after Hurricane Katrina and the levee failure, where black people were trying to walk out of a flooding New Orleans to save their life. And they got to that bridge and the cops eventually shut it down, blocked it at gunpoint and would not allow citizens to, to flee, to save their life. That's the exact same bridge. I think that's important uh, for context. And I think even some of our listeners recognized where you have these spaces uh, that are infamous, notorious uh, for brutality and savageness uh, against black people. Uh, Some of the other things that I thought, were important. I wanted to make sure that we touched on uh, before I got to some of the callers. Uh, The piece about South Africa, 
uh, Pretoria Girls School in South Africa. If folks remember, that was the institution from earlier this year where they had the policy about hair and they would not allow these young uh, black girls to have afros or just wearing their natural hair. Uh, had to be straightened, whitened to conform to their racist uh, standards of beauty. Uh, but I thought it was just incredible. And I mean, really global context that you can be on the continent. You can be in a quote unquote country where approximately 80 percent of the population is black and you still don't see black educators. You'll see a black person doing sanitation. You'll see a black person maybe fixing uh, your grits or preparing your meal. Uh, but in terms of being an educator, one of the people that is in charge of this institution, no way, even on the continent, that is, wow, further evidence of the system of racism, uh, white supremacy and the global damage. Uh, I shared earlier the journal for Dylan Roof. I think that was mentioned some months back, but they didn't make it available. It is available now. You can download it. Some of it looks uh, identical to the manifesto, the short manifesto that was released last year at the time of the killing, but there are some additional tidbits. If folks want to review that or share uh, a thought on that, uh, that would be great. As I said, it's on uh, my Facebook. I think I tweeted it out as well. If folks want to get an opportunity uh, to download that. Uh, the last thing that I will get in, uh, the Dylan Roof trial, it has been fascinating this week with his mother, having a heart attack reportedly uh, when she heard the details of what her demon spawn uh, did at Mother Emanuel AME in 2015. I uh, hope people uh, are keeping pace with the trial, uh, all the additional information. I think they released the video footage of his Dylan Roof's uh, confession after he was taken into custody last year where he chuckles uh, about having killed uh, these non-black people uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, definitely something that you can learn. I, I would say this is an event. Uh, if you have children, or even if it's just you, uh, if you 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 have a a partner, you have a boyfriend, you have a girlfriend, whatever the case is, review this case. Uh, take time. I think this is, uh, it's not. I think I think it's flagrant. It's obvious. This is going to be uh, one of those incidents that people talk about. You know, twenty, thirty, forty years down the road. You know, this might be something that. Uh, if you have children or you have children maybe later down the road uh, and they end up maybe having to write about this. Or this will be something that they talk about uh, in school. and You'll be able to have really detailed, accurate information to share with them because you paid attention to this trial. And you'll be able to give them the counter racist logic uh, so that they can accurately process what happened with this event. But hopefully we'll be able to share some thoughts uh, about what has transpired with that trial. Uh, this week and or any other thoughts uh, you would like to share with us for this evening. Uh, I will encourage folks, if you could take uh, approximately five minutes to share your thoughts, that'll make sure we have an opportunity for everyone uh, to speak. Uh, I'll prompt about that. And if we could not use metaphors, uh, again, I don't state this for any of our other uh, programs. This is not a permanent thing. I just say for the compensatory calling just on Saturdays, if we could not use metaphors to express our ideas, whatever view you take, just no metaphors. Uh, it's been my experience frequently. Racists, white people, they will deliberately use metaphors, analogies, comparisons where they are contrasting two things that are not equivalent. Uh, and I submit they're doing this deliberately. 
It spreads confusion. It's deception uh, so that non-white people, victims of racism, don't get an accurate understanding of racism. I think a lot of victims, including Gus T. Renegade, we do this a lot as well. We use those metaphors. I don't think we're doing it deliberately to be deceptive in most instances. I think just in our confusion to better understand racism uh, and trying to find the best words to convey our thoughts. Sometimes uh, we take the method of using analogies and metaphors uh, in a hope that that will accurately uh, articulate or represent what it is that we think. Often it does not. Again, just because a lot of times, especially with racism, People compare things, they equate things that are not similar. It happens all the time. If we could just be clear, explicit with what it is we have to say, really appreciate that. I'll prompt about that uh, as well. Just no metaphors for the day. Thank you kindly. And if we could use our mute button as well. If you know you're in a loud uh, environment, if there are other people talking or the TV is on or whatever the case is, if you could use... Uh, your mute button. That would be great. Uh, help us preserve the quality of the broadcast. We'll go ahead and get to some of the folks who dialed in. The number again, 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. Hopefully, uh, we will have an update. Uh, the black mother who called in last week to share with us about the situation, uh, the white terrorist who was attacking uh, her residence uh, and came up and was kicking the door and threatening them. Hopefully, we'll get an update from her. Uh, oh, and, and one other quick thing. The segment on Joe McKnight, uh, where I played the tacky and profane outburst with the sheriff Noel Norman, I believe is his name, uh, in the Joe McKnight situation. I prefaced the news clip where they were talking about that, his tacky press conference where he was saying coon and nigger and all these other words and talking about all these, uh, I guess, vile text messages that people sent in to voice their frustration about how this uh, shooting, this murder, this death was handled. I prefaced that news clip with the piece from The Office. Uh, this is a very popular sitcom that was on for a decade. Uh, it went off in 2013. But that clip where the white male is repeating the Chris, jo uh, Chris Rock skit about black people versus niggers. And the reason that I did that is because a really, really, really pretty black female, she posted uh, on my Facebook page about that press conference. And she said, I bet he loved every minute of being able to repeat all those racist uh, slurs, coon and nigger and everything else, bet he loved it. We had a white woman on our program in 2011, and that was one of the main points in her book. She said that white people, one of the ways that they practice racism is in situations where they can repeat uh, racist comments, racist jokes, they can repeat them with impunity because they'll just say, oh, well, I'm quoting, you know, such and such. If it's an incident like this uh, or the situation that I played from the office where a non-white person said something that people would think it was racist. If a white person said it, they'll just repeat it and be like, oh, yeah, that's you know, that's what Jamal said. or That's what Chris Rock said. I'm just, you know, repeating what they said. Or they will take something where a white person has gotten in trouble for making 
racist comments and then they'll just repeat what the white person said either as though they are studying it or analyzing it or you know just such and such did say that so this is just our subject for the evening that finding ways where they can uh, repeat racist content but they themselves are not indicted as racist I thought that was exactly what was happening uh, in that situation Uh, I thought it was a massive act of racism the focus should be on Joe McKnight he was killed and where we're moving with the investigation not taking a moment to chastise and admonish uh, people who wrote text messages, in my opinion, strongly suggesting these are black people, uh, hooligan Black Lives Matter potential protesters who are saying if they don't like the outcome of all this, they're going to loot and run amok in Louisiana. That, to me, is strongly what it suggested, not a focus on let's make joy, let's make sure that justice is being done with this case. Let me take a, to a moment to admonish some of these hooligan Looter Negras uh, that we didn't wash and drown away from 2005 back when we had the hurricane and the levee failure. That was my interpretation. Just want to make sure folks were not confused as to why I played that segment from the office uh, around uh, regarding Chris Rock's skit. Why I played that before Joe McKnight. Same thing that I think is happening in both of those situations, if that makes sense. We'll get to our callers. Feel free to chime in. At least the first few people that dialed in. Uh, if you dialed in with a hand up, your line should be open. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hello, this is Jay from Ohio. Um, I actually, I, I have a few comments, and I definitely appreciate you saying how um, the sheriff, I think that's what you said he was, how he kind of like enjoyed saying all those different epithets, especially out in public, trying to pretend as if he was um, expressing how upset he was about the epithets um, directed towards another victim. Um, I did actually have an instance where uh, a white coworker had like reposted something or sent something to her um, black boyfriend about if the post was something about like, well, if my N-word leaves, I'm going to go with them. And it was a really by a black person and she had asked myself I'm a black female and I'm a black male if that was all right to do and we were like that kind of seems like that doesn't it, it just didn't seem like a, a good idea to actually repost that even if you know you were just doing it in quote and basically fun um, I did look up a little bit about the black Pete uh because that really caught my interest because I decided to stop celebrating Christmas this year. And it was just basically, I was trying to find out like the origins of it. And like one part of um, some, uh, one thing online, it said that it uh, basically had something to do with um, being like a counterpart to Santa Claus. And the person had apparently was supposed to, the person had uh, how he, got to be Black Pete was he fell into like a fire and got all burnt up and then he emerged as this black in person. Um, other origins said that he was like a chained up devil kind of, uh, or a chained up servant to serve uh, quote unquote Santa Claus or Saint Nick. Um, so I, I definitely thought that that was um, interesting. And then just one other note was that I, I did catch a few episodes of, um, Black Mirror 
because I was going back through the archives. And one of the themes that I saw was basically like in almost all of the episodes, and I watched quite a few of them, there was a lot of interracial relationships, even like just even in like the background, you would see like a white female with uh, either a black male or a darker skinned male, even like, you know, like in the first episode where you had that white teen mama when she was a nurse and there was like that kind of darker skin uh, individual, like maybe someone who was from Eurasia. So I, I just wanted to, to point that out. And I thought that the people, the creators of that show, they really had to be truly demented to, to, think of, of all of those different things. Um, thank you for letting me share, and I'll mute my line. Oh, for sure. Just wanted to share. Uh, Eight-year anniversary is uh, coming up. We've done approximately 1,600 programs. One of those programs, we actually had black people in the Netherlands on the program who have been protesting against uh, black people for years. Uh, we had them on the program uh, in 2012. Uh, they describe the history of the holiday, what they thought, what they saw, what they felt about it uh, growing up, uh, how people responded to their protests. And it was the same type of thing, um, violence and nastiness. I think some of them were arrested because they were publicly protesting against this. And I think there were arrests and it got really bad at some of the protests. But I just I'm putting it on my Facebook page as we speak. Uh, other folks that we have not uh, heard from have come. We Black Mirror like owes Gusty money. Like we have uh, got lots of people to check out that show as a result. Other people we haven't heard from. I heard quite a few folks. Uh, the caller at three two four six. Did you have commentary? Yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh uh, yes. Um, I was listening to the clips and I had a couple notes on uh, some of the clips. Um, one was about uh, genetics and patenting uh, certain genetics. And um, it was reminding me of uh, something that I was studying about um, genetic, mo genetically modified foods. And one in particular, an example of one is the flavor saver tomato which is a mix of, um, of a fish that has antifreeze properties that um, is like in the Antarctic somewhere, and a tomato. And anyway, they mix the two genetics, and um, they do this to a, a lot of different foods, but when we eat them, it ends up uh, making our organs, um, it, it makes our organs larger, and uh, it, oh, it just kills us. Um, eventually. And when I went to Africa, you know, I thought that perhaps I would be able to get away from the genetically modified foods. And, you know, I just went over there to find out I, I couldn't really, I could find some foods that I thought maybe wasn't genetically modified. But the year that I went there, they were um, trying to make a decision on whether they would accept genetically modified foods or not in this uh, country is Ghana. And um, later on, they ended up um, saying that they were going to accept genetically modified foods. And while I was over there, uh, you were talking about the hair in South Africa. In Ghana, it's the same. Um, the women have to cut their hair low while they're in school. Uh, and it was 
you know, they're really beautiful women, even with their hair low. It's, it's really beautiful. It's just sad that, that that's a, um, what's mandatory for them. And uh, the language, there was a clip about language not being offered, um, African languages not being offered in school. And while I was in Ghana, I went to several different universities in different parts of Ghana, and I didn't see any language, um, any of the, of the, the cheat, I can't say the language correctly, but I didn't see their language being, uh, being taught. It was all some type of European language. There wasn't Kiswahili. There wasn't any of the dialects that are spoken there. Kiswahili is not spoken there, but any of, there was none of the dialects that were spoken there, um, offered. And I thought that was really interesting and, um, terroristic. Um, Another thing is uh, uh, the last few things I wanted to say were about um, the Africans on the continent. Um, I love them very much. It's just it's really, really difficult to explain to them what's going on over here. I would tell them, you know, I, I stayed over there for several months, and I would just I would tell people what's going on, and they wouldn't believe me. I mean, nobody, nobody was believing me. Some of them, it seemed like they were, you know, saying – you know, perhaps I'm, I'm only saying this so that they don't come to America. Um, but, you know, try and tell them black people get killed over here. And it, it's just really difficult to explain it to them. And it was interesting that, you know, they were more into the white form of Christianity than we are, or at least it seemed like it. We saw, I saw um, white Jesus on all the cars in everybody's house. I seen pictures of white people, like just for no reason like just pictures of white people on the businesses. And it was just, it's, it's really, I, I wasn't sure exactly how to get through to them, you know, to explain to them the seriousness of this matter and what racism, white supremacy is. And, and that, you know, we're facing this everywhere. And I could point it out to them, you know, I, I could point a lot of stuff out to them just in their country. But even so, it was just, it's really difficult to explain. Um, and, uh, one thing I want to mention about like, the city that I'm in, there's a, um, a record amount of murders um, going on. It's a, it's, um, it's, it's a little different than, than what's been going on before. It's just there's something going on with, with these murders. I know that some, I, I feel that some white people are involved in these murders because over half of them aren't even, uh, aren't solved. Like nobody knows uh, who did it? A lot of them are black people killing black people, but even that, it's just something weird's going on. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to say. Can you get it in 20 seconds? That, yes, sir. Okay. Was just that, um, you know, we should uh, share the sh- share the show. For, uh, I know there's a lot of um, different codes um, uh, that you can use, a lot of different algorithms that you can use to share the show on, um, on Facebook and other medias. So that's just what I want to say. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, Roz, I heard you as well. Were you going to share, sir? You with us, Roz? Did you mute yourself? Hmm. He might be in a noisy area. Um, There was another caller that spoke up also simultaneously, or any other folks that we haven't heard from. Feel free.
Uh, let us take our, I heard the caller in Florida as well. We'll get our female caller first. Uh, thank you so much. Good evening, everyone. Hope you're having the best night you can. Um, a great show. Uh, my mother, for Thanksgiving, have <laughs> yeah, some Thanksgiving stories. She was listening to some of the programs without the archive ones, and, you know, I guess, I don't know, it was a lot for her. Um, and then um, the program today about the education um, that is so important that we do have people that look like us or if not to really just try to train our children how to be in those environments. Um, a small little story. Right now I teach, and I teach mostly white people. They're adults. And one of the students, I was telling my mother, she gave me a little note because it's the end of the semester saying, thank you, you've been nice, blah, 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 stuff like that. And my mother's like, oh, give her a B. I'm like, well, you can't just give people grades. But they write something. I was like, why are you feeling sorry for these white people? But, you know, whatever. Um, and then on a kind of different note, I did get an email yesterday about a scholarship for high school female students. And I wanted to know if it was okay to forward it to you so that you can share it with everyone else. You get $10,000 a year for four years, and you attend some conference and blah, 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 stuff like that. Oh, sure. It's for, uh, I guess, if you're a current high school yeah, student it's or something? Yeah, like top high school senior females. Oh, okay. And they might meet, that, they might meet Condoleezza Rice because it's from her. Okay. Uh, so pass I'll do it. that now. Uh, my email is untiljustice at gmail.com. So I guess if you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I listen- sent emails to you before. I just wanted to, you know, oh, right on. make sure it was okay. For listeners, if you're That's interested all. in the scholarship, uh, just drop me an email and I will forward it. Once uh, she mails it to me, I'll forward it along. Until justice at gmail dot com. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's mm-hmm. Great information. Uh, caller in Florida. Hey, yes, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um, it, some of the parts of the audio segment were very interesting. The first was, I think it may have been uh, some of the uh, young uh, uh, race soldiers at a school. I guess they, like the term that was used was scapegoat. I guess they felt like they were being scapegoated, I guess. Uh, were those uh, some some white students, Gus? Uh, yes, I believe it was. Because, like, that that reminded me of a point I had made maybe, like, a couple of months ago about how when a, a suspected racist is caught practicing racism, they will seem to make the notion that, well, like, why am I being the one that's um, being labeled a racist or whatever for what I'm doing or saying when this is happening all the time? We, you know, we're all doing this. And we're the ones that's supposed to be supposed to be the representatives and nobody else being labeled a racist as well. Like, I think that's what they may have been trying to say with that when that term scapegoat or scapegoat was used. And there, uh, there was a, another part where I think the, it was the, the, uh, the white and non-white, um, uh, relationship, I guess, the interracial relationship where, I guess that house is broken into. And now I want to, I want to get some clarification because I think that might've been a, a, a white woman, a white woman that said, you know, Hey, this can happen. 
this can happen to one of your daughters. Is is that what she said? I think on the um on the audio segment. I would have to go back and listen again to see if she said that to verify. Yeah, I think <laughs> she like I'm like, why? It's interesting. She said that. She said this could, you know, listen. One of y'all, uh, this could happen to one of your daughters. And you know, since uh, the topic of Dylan Roof came up, like I know he mentioned about, hey, you know, they were so they were so nice to me, and you know that rhetoric about. Uh, they, uh, black people are coming to rape our women, our wives and daughters and stuff like that. So I think she may have been practicing racism with that because it almost went by a little unnoticed to me. But I think she may have been doing that when she said, when she made that statement. And one last thing is uh, I seen a video with uh, Richard Spencer. He had came down to, I think that was Texas A&M University. And he pretty much got a uh, very excited or exciting response. Definitely it reminded me of when Mr. Fuller and you had that conversation about, I think the guy's name is uh, William Shockley, I think. And I know he debated Dr. Wilson years ago. And um, like it was an interesting exchange because he made a speech and it seemed like it was a bunch of rhetoric. He was talking about he was talking about a bunch of things, but it didn't really make any sense. And people, a lot of people started saying, "Get to the point." <laughs> people were saying, "People were saying, I'm confused." You know, the people that was recording this sounded like a black female. She said, "I'm confused." This is what she said, and what was profound about it was that it was a black male that. They did like the Q and A after he was done with his speech, and he got up there. <laughs> and he said, "You know, uh, what are you going to do?" He asked Richard. He said, "Hey, what are you going to do about black people? You know, what are you going to do about me and uh, all of the black people or people of color here? Something like that." He said. And then you know, Richard was like, "Well, you, <laughs> you know, you're you're a citizen. You're here. Now, nah, that ain't answering my question. What are, what are you going to do?" Like, I don't get what you're trying to say. So it seemed like he kind of backed down from that. So he used a he used a very logical, codified question. And he just said, well, he ain't going to answer my question. So he dropped the mic. Well, I don't want to say dropped the mic. He just exited the line. And he pretty much uh, didn't persist on to ask that question. I'll just put it that way. And uh, that, that was a very interesting exchange. It was the, the Richard Spencer uh, speech at... Texas and if you wanted to take a look at that and that's all I have for now thank you awesome the power of asking questions and Mr. Fuller always recommends that question when any anytime you get someone who says that they're white particularly they're sticking their chest out proud I'm white and I'm for white people and black people are a problem and we need to do this for white people and we're catching it and niggas are taking over and blah, blah, blah. No gripes, no complaints. What should be done with the niggers? That's all we need to know. <laughs> and just stay on them and make sure they answer that question. That'll take things right where they need to go. Uh, other folks uh, who chimed in, if you if we have not heard from you, uh, if you had commentary, feel free. Happy heard. Yes, sir. Good evening, Gus. Good evening to the Count Aresis family. It's Thomas Smith in New York. Um, you know, uh, still in roof situation 
um, you know, it's just one of the reasons why I try not to say, you know, white people are crazy or sick, you know, because I can see them very well giving him um, some type of, um, you know, he's guilty, but he, he wasn't in his right mind. And um, I just find that that would be, in my opinion, so racist because um, he pretty much wrote out everything, his feelings and, and what he planned on doing before he did it. So um, anything less than premeditated murder, nine counts, and attempted murder of the other people in there as well would be um, injustice. Um, no, I sit back um, at, at nighttime um, as I'm doing my job. I typically run into um, the news, which I hate. And um, guy, black guy on CNN one night, Lamont Hill, um, he was, you know, they have him on TV arguing with another black person. Um, and the whole argument was over in Carson. And I just found it so funny, you know, that they got these two black people showcasing them on the news arguing over whether another black person is qualified to run HUD. And Big Big Carson has been selected by um, President Select um, Donald Trump to run HUD, the Housing and Urban Development. And neither one of them in their argument, which was obvious to me, was Big Carson is a brain surgeon. I mean, he's not like this is an idiot. He should be able to run any department he wants to. I mean, he probably was qualified to run anything than any other people who were um, running for, for office, but you guys are going to sit there and they pick two black people and sit there and argue about it. I just found that to be so insulting. Um, also, um, and, and I kind of, I wanted to chime in during the last book session, but it kind of ended abruptly. I thought it was a few more weeks, but the, um, I was looking up the propaganda and I started, I came, I said, you know, this, this book is really information for white people. Um, and, you know, I decided to look up what the definition of information was. And um, I went to the to my source, the 1828 um, Webster Dictionary, and uh, information didn't exist yet. Um, but what they did use back then was a form- informative, and the definition is having the power to animate. So that's, a, that's interesting. So I looked up animate in the same dictionary. And, um, you know, the one that fit what, 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 you know, what they're doing is um, to give spirit a rigor, to infuse courage, joy, other and living passion, to stimulate or incite as to animate the spirited troops. And um, I say, you know, watching the news, that all of this is information for white people, you know, all the news, because it's keeping the system of white supremacy in formation. You know, it's telling them just what they need to know to keep practicing racism, the way they put black people on and everything. Just the whole the whole format of it is, is all information for white people. It's not for us. Um, the, the last thing I wanted to say... Um, You know what? I'll save it for later if I have time. Thank you. Appreciate that. The uh, Lothrop Stoddard rising tide of color against white world supremacy. 
I thought it ended abruptly as well. <laughs> we had another week left, and even during live, during the program, I thought we had another week left and went to turn the next page, and there was no more page to turn. Um, but what, just to say, man, it was, it was starting to get so good, too. It was like, oh, man, it's starting to really open up, you know? He has written other books. <laughs> you can uh, continue reading. Um, the caller in Florida, really quick. Um, I did want to say I checked, number one, the clip where the tragic arrangement where they were terrorized. She did say this could happen to your daughters. I was able to listen and verify that is what she said. You were correct. Good ear. Uh, I checked also for the high school incident. Marist High School. Um, They, at least in the reports that I've seen, they do not explicitly identify the students who are now the plaintiffs in the lawsuit against the school. They don't explicitly say these are white students who did this, but it's totally implied in the article. Like down further, they interview two black students and they say that they they think them being expelled, these two students being expelled was correct because another white kid would think it would be okay to say that to me. You wouldn't say another white kid if these were not two white kids. And then even within the lawsuit, they say that it's a double standard. That's what they're suggesting because a black student was able to say kill white people and he didn't get expelled. He just got counseling. Um, how would it be a double standard unless they were white? Uh, but I do. I think it's significant, number one, that they do not explicitly identify these students as white, uh, at least uh, not in any of the reports that I've seen uh, at this point, uh, I'll continue to, to check, uh, to see, did you want to add anything to the, the verification? Where was the, that school? Russ, I'm sorry. Where, where, what Maris? Where, where was the school this at? This is in Chicago. To, this is in Chicago. Okay, I, I went to Maris High School too. That's why I asked. Right. The caller in Florida, did you want to confirm anything since she did the white woman in the, uh, terrorist home invasion? Uh, she did say, this could happen to your daughter, and I, this would be a white woman who said this, who's in a tragic arrangement, sexual relationship with a black male. Uh, yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I think that that's very amazing that she uh, put that in there because I think does she have a? They said biracial child. Is that a male child that they have a, a little boy? Uh, I think this is the the duo. They had a male child who committed suicide as a result of being bullied by racists. Uh, they had a male child who is now deceased as a result of suicide. Wow. Yeah, I think that's that's very interesting that she she said that, and it it does remind me of that old time saying about how they are afraid of their women. Uh, white women being attacked or harmed or sexually violated and it's never really that never really came to fruition so yeah I think that was carrying um, back to those times when they said those things white men said that so for her as a white woman to say that yeah I think that's a uh, an act of racism right there and uh, that's that's all I have hmm. right on uh, other folks that we have not heard from, uh, if you had commentary, feel free. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings to you, Gus. Um, to all the callers and listeners, uh, Thomas in New York, this is Ross. 
Um, yeah, I was actually in the middle of helping my wife. I picked her father up. He fell, so um, I had to go over there. So it was kind of inconvenient for me to chime in at that time. So I do apologize. Um, but uh, I wanted to speak on a few of the clips. The clip you played about um, Black Peter with the black female who was uh, terrorized over the Internet and probably in all of the mediums of expression that uh, white people utilize to harass us. Um, to me, that clip was just really indicative of uh, the fact that white supremacy is a global system and that white people function the same. I found it really interesting that these Dutch people kept referring to American forms of black terror in regards to uh, lynching and the, just the types of uh, verbiage that was used uh, to terrorize this black female. And I just thought that it was uh, fascinating that they kept referring to American culture of overt white supremacy. Um, that kind of leads me to think as well that America is probably the, the lead country as far as um, where the other countries look to as far as um, some of their practices of white supremacy. Um, no different than from what I've seen historically that the um, struggle of black people in America against white supremacy has influenced globally, the global black community in trying to counter um, the system of white supremacy. So I just found that to be very fascinating. Um, uh, Dylan Roof, um, just, just an interesting scenario. I, I see that they're really going to try hard to try and um, for him not to be uh, put to death. I'm not an advocate of the death penalty, but I really, really would love to see him die. That's just my own feelings about the whole thing. Um, his mother having a heart attack in the courtroom. She's a race soldier, too. Uh, white women are the origin of white supremacy, and I'm sure that she had no problems with him uh, thinking thinking, and feeling and expressing himself about black people the way he did. So I wish she died right there in the court. That would have been a nice treat, but it didn't happen. Uh, so she gets no, no quarter for me. She's the enemy and I could care less about her in that regard or her son. Um, in regards to the clip about the sheriff that was repeating the Chris Rock jokes. Um, and I found that really interesting because I think that is one of the highest forms of refined white supremacy as far as, um, showcasing a black person. I think that is probably one of the, the most, most potent ways of using a black person as a smokescreen for you to be able to practice uh, overt white supremacy and enjoy yourself and not be able to be reprimanded or held accountable for it because you're hiding behind the black person who may have said something that had uh, racial language in it that you can capitalize off of in that moment to really be who you really are as a white supremacist. Um, also to the black male that spoke about the clip in Ghana um, in regards to the lack of ability for African people to express themselves culturally within the context of uh, education. I find that fascinating because I have a very good friend um, who is a traditional uh, African spiritualist, and he has a program that comes on YouTube. It's called Divine Speech and African Traditionalism. And actually, I appeared on that show um, in reference to a local show in New York, a public access show, um, where he speaks to different people from both the diaspora and the continent about uh, about issues relating to African people. And he's from Ghana. And he's told me many, many stories because he actually fights to um, facilitate the protection of traditional culture and spirituality in Ghana, specifically from the upper northeast region of Ghana. And um, he's told me so many stories of uh, similar things where even in the political sphere, they're not 
previously in previous years, um, and uh, Kwame Nkrumah also used to allow at uh, political events for traditional African priests to be able to uh, do their ancestral rites and, and perform blessings before specific um, events would take place, whether it's uh, cultural or political. And now even that has stopped, and he's been fighting to reverse that trend. Um, and I just think that it's very important that we try to facilitate the maintenance of our traditional culture and spirituality. Actually, I'll be hoping to go out there with him in the next couple of years to uh, speak to some of the youth out there so and, and get involved with that. So I'm hoping to um, to really be able to, to do that and facilitate that process when I get to go. But um, I think that's really important for us to look at, not just in Ghana, but just uh, globally speaking, simply because um, besides the destruction of black life, one of the most important things that they choose, that they destroy and focus on is, is uh, the culture of black people globally. And a lot of ancestral wisdom is, 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 uh, is uh, held within, that, in, within our cultures globally, and we should really preserve that. Thank you, and I'll meet my line. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, ma'am. Good evening, uh, Beth. Um, I had uh, three different comments that I wanted to make. Could you maybe give us a little bit more volume? Okay, I'm sorry. Is, is, is this a little bit better? Yes, ma'am. Just stay at that volume. Okay, great. Okay, so I had three uh, different comments that I wanted to make. The first one was about the, the police um, the chief officer that made those racial slurs. Um, a couple of months ago, my son was outside playing, he's four, and he was playing with some other non-white children, and uh, he was in the front yard playing, they were playing uh, football, or, uh, football, or something like that, and um, within a couple of minutes of him being out there, he came back inside the house, um, and some of, some of the kids came to my house as well, and they told me some. they said something like, um, the neighbor wanted to talk to me. The neighbor is a white woman. Um, and if I knew now what I have um, been learning on your show, I would have never went, um, went next door to the neighbor's house to see what she wanted, right? So I went over there, and um, she tells me that, um, that her neighbor, um, or uh, that, um, that her neighbor's friend, came over there, um, the white man, and I guess um, he started uh, fussing at her about um, um, the kids in my yard making noise or something like that. And, uh, and um, she was telling me how he uh, doesn't like um, non-white children and that he refers to them as niggers. And she said nigger to me like twice before I had to stop her. And I was like, no, no, please don't do not continue to look at me in my face and, and um, say nigger. You know what I'm saying? And then um, after I stopped her, she then started to uh, explain that she was only saying it because that's what the guy said. You know, and um, when I heard that uh, chief officer was um, spitting out of uh, racial slurs, it just brought back to my attention, like, this is what they do. You know, for any and every opportunity that that they have to be able to say those words out in public uh, or to a um, a non-white person, they will take full advantage of that. And um, my second um, my second comment was that uh, 
which don't really have anything to do with any of the clips that you played up previously. But at my job, whenever I come to work, I work with a couple of, a bunch of white people, okay? Um, this is what I'm faced with and until I'm able to find um, something better. But I, I work with a lot of white people. And um, every time I go into work, it's maybe uh, three different white women. Um, sometimes I'll have my hair done different than y'all. Um, but I always have my natural hair, you know. And every time I come into work with something different, with a different style, they always have something also positive to say about how my hair looks. Always complimenting me. And and I'm um I I'm usually I'll usually just look at them and I'll smile and I'll keep going. I don't acknowledge it because um uh, because I I I feel like they're just they're just messing with me. <laughs> just playing with me like they're just practicing racism against me uh i guess just to try to see if i would uh smile along with them laugh along with them uh be friendly with them uh but i don't at all in no way uh associate with these people unless it it, uh it has something to do with um, my job and um the third one was about um uh the clip that you played about the white people that were uh, trying to uh, get justice against racism against this um, non-white uh, male that uh, had uh, wrote something in note, I guess. And uh, they were saying all these ridiculous things about um, him uh, being race, uh, being racist and uh, practicing racism against them and that they were uh, fighting for um, um, equality uh, for the white people and 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 all of this ridiculous things, and all I'm thinking is that um, there are a lot of non-white people that believe the things that they're saying. I know a lot of non-white people. I know a lot of my friends believe that black that non-white people can be racist and practice racism. You know, so they they have this um, this media outlet. They have all of these propaganda outlets out here that are basically spreading this disease to um, the people in the community and letting everybody know this false narrative, this false rhetoric that non-white people can be racist. And so then we have um, non-white people that are out here that believe this and and so they won't, I don't know, it's, it's just really um, like a grave big disease that is floating throughout this whole entire world, and it, it just won't stop. It, it just won't stop because once you reach one, then there's another one that's going to be affected. You know, if, and if you reach 10, there's 20 that's going to be affected. You know, that's, that's going to be continuously being affected just as much as you have people that are dying every day and then you have people that are, are being born every day. It's, it's, it's about the same amount to the people that are being affected by this disease of uh, racism. And um, it's, it's very concerning for me. But that was, that was all I had to say, and I do appreciate you giving me the opportunity to voice uh, my opinion. Thank you, guys. Can I be heard?
yes, we can hear you. Just hang tight. I did want to say uh, we did get some metaphors, uh, quite a few actually, uh, in the last bit of commentary. But uh, watch our metaphors for the uh, compensatory call in. Much obliged. Uh, the female caller, thank you uh, for sharing uh, interesting observations all the way through. I was going to ask, I was going to make sure I get some of the other people that we haven't heard from. But my question, if we have time and you hang with us for a second, my question was going to be, how would you have responded to this white woman when she asked to come, your neighbor, I guess, put that in quotes, who asked to chat with you, how would you have responded uh, given the information that you know now? But you can take a moment to think on your response and I'll try and come back to you after we get people that we have not heard from at all. Um, I guess I already heard one male caller. Uh, have we not heard from you, sir? Yeah, yeah. Um, how you doing, Gus? Um, 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 I was watching, um, I guess, the news a few uh, days ago, and there was one case that was interesting. I don't know if the, I guess everybody's seen that one case where I think it was at a Reno Junior High School when they had this boy, a student on a playground swinging the knives and stuff in the air, and the police, you know, telling him to put the knife down. And I said to myself, had that would have been, a, obviously, had that would have been a black student, that cop would have shot him. I mean, that guy, with that kid would have been on that ground. He'd have been dead real quick. He wouldn't have been in critical condition. That student would have been dead at an Abe Lincoln. That would have been a bitch for him had he been black. Another and metaphor. The other one, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, didn't need to make that metaphor. Okay, and the other case is Dylan Roof. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if these white folks would have uh, found him, gave him a hung jury. And I, would, I wouldn't put it past any of them. They, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Like that case, you know, like we were saying about the, uh, with that uh, black man that was running in South Carolina and he was shot in the back by the police officer on video and they found that a home jury, and I was thinking, I bet you they'll do the same thing to Dylan Roof. I, it wouldn't, I would put it past any of these racist white folks, especially if you get an all-white jury. And the last one was the the white folks uh, repeating the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Chris Rock. That's just white folks blaming the victim. That's all it is. They just want to hide behind that just so they can... Uh, uh, trying to make an excuse for being racist, you know, they, but there's really no excuse at all because we all know that they're racist. That's, that's my comment. Right on. Appreciate that. Um, I want to make sure I'm not contributing to confusion. Uh, the sheriff, he just, he repeated the alleged text that people sent in where they were calling, uh, I guess, some of the black people that were supporting the sheriff in not immediately uh, arresting uh, Ronald Gasser, the uh, suspected race soldier who killed Joe McKnight last week, uh, the black people that were supporting the sheriff and, and not arresting him. They were allegedly calling him them coons and Uncle Toms and all this other stuff. He was repeating that. He was not repeating Chris Rock commentary. The, the Chris Rock commentary was repeated in a television show. I just repeated it. I played that because I thought that was another example of the same form of racism where white people get to say something racist and say, oh, well, you know, I'm just repeating what, you know, such and such did. Just making sure I didn't confuse any folks. Uh, other people that we have not heard from at all, did you have commentary? 
Uh, right on. Hello? Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Okay. It's it's um the mother with the issue with the neighbor um calling me to give an update. Uh, is my volume okay this time? Beautiful. Okay. <laughs> um so we had the final hearing this week. Um ultimately the judge did agree to um, make the order permanent. Um, in our county, the way the orders work, if there's not like a um, romantic relationship or children in common, then what you get is a, it's called a peace order, not a protective order. And it's good for six months. Um, there were some interesting things that happened in court during the hearing. Um, so we, um, I just wanted to, to share those things because I thought they were pretty interesting. Um, so we got to court um, early in the morning and I was accompanied by my mother and my sister and my brother um, because they had also had interactions with this neighbor. Um, and the neighbor was nowhere in sight. We finally were called at about 10 or so after being there for about two hours. Um, our, the judge was a, a black male, um, which was good to see, but I wasn't, I wasn't too sure what would happen. Um, so he called us up and he was gonna hear us even though the neighbor wasn't there to defend himself. So I uh, reiterated what had happened on Thanksgiving I also let the judge know that um, this was kind of like an escalating in the, the neighbor's behavior. Um, I also let him know the things that we had become aware of since living in the house, that the house is owned by a company that services people who have uh, psychological issues or are recovering from substance abuse issues, and, it, and, and they can have both. Um, and so he is one of the people that is living in the house under that program. Um, my brother spoke and he said, you know, his concern was just for our safety and making sure that this was something that was being addressed quickly um, through the court system. My mother spoke and talked about her interactions with him and that if you know, the door doesn't get answered after he rings the bell and what he feels is his time. He'll bang on the door um, really loud until someone comes to the door. And um, so we said all of those things and the judge found that we were credible, of course. And so he extended the order. And at that moment, that's when the neighbor finally appeared and um, he proceeded to be uh the three T's, tacky, trashy, and terroristic, as you like to say. Um, and he said that uh, he was like, uh, he could have handled it better, but he, he didn't, he denied kicking the door. He said he just put his foot between the, the door so that I wouldn't be able to close it, which is a complete lie. Um, he also said that when I came to the door, my eyes were bulging. He just, he just didn't know what was going on. Um, also a lie. He said that um, he 
he didn't have any malice in his heart and he had forgiven us even though we were lying and that, um, you know, maybe I was going through a hard time because he hadn't seen uh, my husband. And, and mind you, we've never had a conversation about my relationship status and I'm not married. None of that's his business. And the judge also said, he said that's completely irrelevant. Um, and he said that he wasn't, he said, yes, I'm in a program um, and, and I, I suffer with anxiety and depression, but I'm not schizophrenic. I do take medication and that I, um, I, I uh, am a Buddhist and I meditate every day. You know, I'm just someone that's trying to get along with everybody, all of which is absolutely absurd considering his behavior. He's not calm in any way. He was um, very shaky and jittery. And as soon as, like, he came up to the stand where the, I guess, defendant would stand, he, like, poured himself a water, a glass of water, and he's, like, drinking water. But he, he hadn't even spoken yet at that point. It's very odd. Um so the judge, you know, didn't reverse his stance, but that ultimately was what happened. Um, so we were satisfied with that. Um, going forward, I am going to be writing some letters um, to notify the Homeowners Association of the court finding um, and to also notify his caseworker so that she is aware. Um, what I would like is that he be relocated um, for the time that I'm here, seeing as how I'm a homeowner and he is not. Um, you had uh, asked about a firearm. I don't, I don't have one, but that is something that I'm investigating and looking into and have uh, plans to get one. So that's, that's my update spectacular um again massive uh commendations are in order uh for the black self-respect your whole family coming out to support you and uh through the whole ordeal and being there in court uh, on your behalf to testify uh to his terrorist activity uh and your brother uh stepping out of choice concerning your mom just awesome i'm sorry it had to be those circumstances and you and your children, everyone had to experience all this. But uh, also, I thought that was fantastic codification, being a counter-racist soldier, just because you see, oh, it's a person with melanin uh, who is going to be presiding over this case. That doesn't mean that this is going to go in my favor, that he's going to be sympathetic to me. Awesome. That's the exact way that we should be thinking every single time. Uh, you know, he might come out and have, uh, you know, I'm down with Dylan Roof t-shirt under his row. Who knows? I mean, you just want to go in and be about your business. That is a metaphor. My apologies. You don't know what the situation could be. You want to be codified and just prepared to deal with whatever. And even if it should be a black person, whatever, I'm just prepared to handle my business. Um, the fire, she did, uh, I emailed her about the firearm. I said, I wish I had asked her about that last week. Uh, we were able to get it in. Uh, this week, and she even uh, requested uh, for us to have a program about that uh, fire, fire arm safety ownership uh, and just something particularly for black people. Uh, and that's something I will have to say truthfully for the record, we did try to do this before, and I'm totally down with the firearm thing. My reservation is that 
consistently uh, a correlation I have observed is that when it begins to move towards counterviolence, violence, the anti-blackness really goes up. Uh, I can give like specific illustrations of exact things that were said in the context of when firearm discussion started to come up, counterviolence started to come up, uh, and the correlation with somehow we are now talking about violence against black people. Uh, a person on the cows was talking about guns, firearm safety, owning firearms, and someone said, well, before you end up shooting a white person, you're going to end up having to shoot through about 99 black people before you even get to a white person. And then this happened on the cows live. Uh, and it was, you know, like, yeah, that might be true. Hmm. Uh, that is a correlation I've observed. So that is one reservation I have, but I do think it's worthwhile. Uh, and I will make an effort to see if we can uh, make that happen. Because uh, I do think uh, a lot of listeners probably have a, a vested interest uh, in knowing more about firearm safety and protection. Uh, let's can see. I add one other thing? Absolutely. Okay. This this didn't have anything to do with my case, but there was a, a case that preceded mine that I thought was really interesting. Um, it was two men, one black and one was a French French speaking because he used an interpreter. Um, what what we would say is considered an Arab or someone from the Middle East. Um, they both lived in a homeless shelter. And the black man had not been able to be in the homeless shelter because the uh, Arab-speaking person had uh, gotten a temporary protective order. So he was now without uh, his belongings and things and had been sleeping on the street, he said. And the way the um, Arab guy had been able to get the order was he said that the man had hit him, had struck him twice in the face, um, after they had gotten into an altercation because the black man, he said, had uh, relieved himself uh, in close proximity to where this, this guy was sitting outside uh, drinking coffee. Um, so the black man comes up um, and he says what happened was that he um, did relieve himself, but he had a bladder infection. And so, you know, he just really, really needed to go. He couldn't make it to a bathroom. He wasn't facing the gentleman. He wasn't exposing himself. And the, the guy, uh, you know, was offended. And he threw hot coffee on him. And he's like, you know, I didn't hit him. He's like, I pushed him, but I did not hit him. And this man was a really, really tall guy, highly melanated. He said he was 6'5", 340. And he said, Your Honor, if I had hit this man, you would see evidence of it, and he looked perfectly fine. And his case was, the protective order was dismissed, and this guy was able to go back home. But I just thought that was very interesting that this person had lied and tried to say that this man had physically assaulted him and been able to get a temporary peace order and had this other gentleman not spoken up in his own defense, he again would be in an even worse off situation. Uh, so I, I just wanted to share that. Wow. Context of white supremacy. White people lie a lot. Uh, 1842. Thank you so much for giving us the update. Black mommies are super important. Um, I will stay on that about firearm 
safety uh, doing a program on that. If people have suggestions uh, for that type of content, feel free to drop me an email. 1842? Are you still with us, 1842? Or are you hanging out? She might have. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Greetings, everybody. Um, to the woman that just spoke, I, I took down like a couple of notes and questions that I came up. You don't have to answer, but just things that kind of came to my mind because the situation is um, very interesting and, uh, and serious to you. Uh, number one, does he have a case manager? Uh, not that you could find that out, or maybe you could, but if so, I don't know if the case manager is aware of any of this kind of stuff. I'm sure he should have one if he has like mental illness or he um, is recovering, like a recovering addict. Um, and then just the thing that he said, if you were quoting with the bulging eyes, I thought that was very interesting because it's like seeing you through the lens of stereotypes, like that language is real particular to some of the caricatures and stereotypes that they have of us. Um, and then also for his medication, like a lot of the medi like the antipsychotics, they have a long time to, for your brain to get acclimated to it. And then if you miss doses or you stop taking it, like it's, you have a mental breakdown and he could totally be lying about taking his medication. If he even has medication, if he's purchased it and stuff like that. I'm only saying that I know that you're, senses are very sensitive and like you're totally vigilant about everything but that's some something i consider a lot with dealing with white people is if they're taking their medication or not because they can flip at any moment if they don't have it or they took too much or they're still uh, getting acclimated to it or the doctor switched it or any any kind of thing like that and then if you have any cameras um if you've thought about getting them or have them already inside and outside of your house just because he may not, like, say if he chooses to do it again, maybe you won't be there and it won't be so much, like, to aggress you, but just to kind of vandalize your home, as we've heard in some of the other clips. Um, you may have already thought about all of that, but it was just some things that came up that I wanted to share with you really quick. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Dylan Roof Journal. Um, and one thing, like, there was a couple of things. Um, that stuck out to me about his journal. A lot of, there were many, many contradictions. Um, and it really sounds like he's listening to someone. They mentioned one of the links uh, in one of the articles that I read. I tried to go to it, but I couldn't get to that page because I wanted to see, like, where is he getting all this information? Um, and then in one of the clips, they were saying that, oh, well, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, and on, like, page 12, he talks about being mad that all white people get treated as if they all own slaved, slaves. And then a couple pages later, he says um, that if you think about it, it was, like, a small number of whites who dominated all and, like, enslaved all the blacks. For me, that's, like, a huge contradiction. And that's what I feel like white people in mass, even the ones that aren't, like, Dylan Roof who are up shooting you know, churches think to themselves, like, well, I didn't own slaves. My family didn't own slaves. But, you know, when we look at it, the truth is, like, a small percentage of people, white people, did enslave, subjugate, dominate, violate all the black people, especially in the United States, but globally, if they extend it that far. And that's one that they just kind of reinforce all the time to themselves, like, and it's very frustrating because it makes you crazy if you even listen to it and take it as though that like there might be some validity to it. Um, 
there uh, one thing I also wanted to note is that this is like a person who's who committed a very heinous like terroristic act. He's also writing though. Um, and I know like I've listened to Dr. Welsing speak on some of the older podcasts or archives, and she would talk about that a lot about reading and writing. Um, and so I just like I thought about that because I was like, hmm, I mean, he really did have a journal and write this whole thing out. And um, oh, then when it comes, to, I think he was like, I'm sure he's probably seen the therapist. Like I wrote that down because he says that he's like morally against psychology. But then I was like, I'm pretty sure you've seen a therapist, even at least a school psychologist or counselor at some point. Like he just kind of fit the stereotype looking at his images and so forth like that. And the fact that like he never fell in love with me, he probably never had a girlfriend. I'm making speculations, I know, but just looking at a profile, trying to uh build a pattern. Um, anywho, but then on page 20, he says homosexual, homosexuality is a mental illness. Like, look, it can't be a mental illness if you don't believe in like mental illness anyway. Um, and then another thing, like, and who said it in the firefighter case and the clip that we just listened to today, he kept using the word lunatic, the reporter, lunatic, lunatic, lunatic. And I'm like, no, enough with the lunatic. Um, I believe that Thomas in New York mentioned this a little earlier, too, that they're not crazy and they're not lunatics. Um, we might be able to find some like diagnosis to give them in the DSM, but they're not crazy. Dylan Roof is not crazy. These people are not crazy. These racists are not crazy. They know exactly what they're doing. And the more that we keep doing that, it prevents, like, let me be more specific. The more we keep allowing ourselves to say that they're crazy or they're just deranged or they're just really, really bad people or they're just evil people, it prevents us from developing a system with which to find their, like, patterns and their behavior to, like, link it all together. Because we're like, oh, that person's crazy. Oh, that person's crazy. Oh, that person's crazy. Instead of saying, like, this is a thread that links them. These are the behaviors that they're doing. Um, and so that was something that was just I really, really wanted to touch on that, that these people are not crazy they know exactly uh, what they're doing. And um, for now, I think that, oh, oh, and that he did it alone. Like he actually made it a point to write that in his journal. Don't blame anybody else. I did this by myself. And I thought, well, I don't want to link them, but that's totally United Independent if I understand United Independent at all. I'm doing what I'm doing by myself. And like, that's how they function. Sometimes when we say it's a system, it's like other people want to say, like, it's not a whole bunch of, you know, white people colluding in secret, dark places getting together. It's like, wait a minute, actually, some of y'all are, and some of y'all are really operating united independently. Y'all have a code and understanding of what y'all want to do, and people do their own thing. Y'all support and back it, and some people want to be martyrs. And that's another thing I thought about him in one of the articles. Someone asked him, do you want to be a martyr? And he was like, well, I mean, it'd be nice. And I'm like, my goodness, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I even think him saying that he wants to represent himself, I think um, that's just an opportunity for him to speak and get out his last words. Like, I'm pretty sure, I feel, I could be totally incorrect, that he is prepared to die. Um, and I don't think that him wanting to, him saying he wants to defend himself is really so he can defend himself. I think because he's not a lawyer, he will get way more leeway to say whatever it is that he wants to say, that a lawyer who's expected to know, well, you can't say it this way, you can't say it that way. He's going to say whatever. All the you know reporters and whoever is going to be recording that, he'll be able to traumatize and terrorize the family once again. He'll be able to spew all that he wants to spew. If they, you know, 
enact the death penalty, he'll go ahead and become a martyr or he'll live out in prison and, and you know, who knows what will happen then. Um, there's some, I took like tons of notes of his journal, but, oh, one final thing is the way that it's laid out seems a lot like the rising tide of color and how you have the people uh, separated. So I don't know if he read it or maybe he's listening to other people who read it, but I don't think that this just comes out of nowhere. Either the fact that he has blacks, Jews, you know, I mean, had he had more time or really been caring enough, you know, he could have had, it could have easily been the Negro, the red man, the yellow man, and so forth. Um, which just, you know, I don't know what all of their outlets are, but they're definitely sharing it. Thank you. I'm good. For sure, for sure. Uh, anyone we have not heard from, anyone that we missed completely, have comments or they need to get in? Yes, can I be heard? Can I yes. be heard? Uh, let's get, uh, I think, our caller in Jersey. Yes, this is Jersey Girl. Good evening, um, Mr. Uh, Renegade and the audience. I just want to say I, I, I'm just listening to uh, the situation with uh, Dylan Roof, and I agree uh, wholeheartedly. The fact that he, they said that he never loved, he had a love for white supremacy. We all know that. This man went out his way to kill eight black people. So and now he's saying he's doing it all his by himself. He's even shielding. He's saying, "Put me out front for the love that he has for what he did." So I I don't understand when they talk about he doesn't have love. He have love for being a white male and his white supremacy and carrying out what he did. Because even at the end, when he was about to change his mind, the love that he has in his heart to carry out what he did superseded. The, the love that I don't know what other people love for a woman or whatever, but to kill eight people for your for your race, that's that's a lot of love there. And um, I do agree that, um, I, you know, it's funny because I thank God so much for this program because it has helped me so much to deal with white people because I have to laugh every time they say something so remotely stupid. I mean, I can actually laugh and understand now. I think if, if I didn't... If I never stumbled onto this program, I probably would be, oh, I would just be so, not so crazy, but just so, just so, I guess, upset or whatever. But now I can understand and I can breathe and I can kind of, when I look at them, I chuckle because I know that anything can come out of their mouth, just like a, a situation that happened this week at work. I'm a vendor, and I, I, was, uh, I was talking to another vendor in the store. She came in, and... um. She was saying, oh, you know, um, I'm going to have my girl here tomorrow, and I, um, I don't want you to come up there and talk to her while someone's talking to her, one of the customers. And I looked, you know, the other, if I didn't hear this program and learn how this just the way they just feel like they can just come out and say something like that, I said to myself, I just la I looked at her and I had this big old smile on my face, right, because the other me would have just probably would have, like, maybe jumped on her or said something. I just looked at her and I laughed. I said, oh, no, why would I do something like that? You know, because I can, I can deal with it better knowing how they are. You know, they are, I don't know, you say they're not crazy. I think they're very crazy. And that's the reason why I can deal, because I think sane people don't act that way. Um, what was the last thing I wanted to say? Oh, I'm so glad, because I have a daughter, 17 years old, so I will be writing you, Mr. Gus, about that scholarship that the, the girl uh, talked about earlier. And I move my line. Thank you so, so much. Until justice at gmail.com. Feel free. 
Uh, the caller at five two three four. Did you have commentary? Five two three four. Uh, caller, last four. Last. Oh, wait a minute. Sorry about that. Caller at six nine three five six nine three five. Did you have commentary? Six nine three five. Did you have commentary? That's Jersey Girl that got set me. Oh, wrong line. My bad. Sorry about that. Two nine six zero. Two nine six zero. Did you have commentary? Uh, yes. Uh, this is a caller from Florida. I was just uh, good evening, everyone. I was just calling because I um, I wanted to ask a question or see if any anybody um, had. Um, gotten any information in regards to the, comp- the um, I guess, the, the meeting that the sheriff in New Orleans had with the text messages. I thought it was a little bit weird, primarily because, um, well, does anybody know whether or not that information can be verified in any type of way, or did he just come out just, um, you know, saying that just to throw people off and to um, put tension between the black community and um, the sheriff's department locally there because uh, that particular department as well as um, New Orleans police, um, there's a lot of corruption there. And um, uh, I was living out there for the past two years until I just came back home. So, but um uh, I was just wondering whether or not anybody had even questioned the authenticity of these supposed text messages, because that's not something that you would normally see them come out and do in a in a press conference um, as in this type of case with this type of uh, um, situation with somebody that is well known in the community. Great point. <clears throat> Great point. When I, I think when I was discussing that, that's Princess, by the way. Good to hear from you. Uh, when I was talking about that at the beginning, earlier in the program, I said, at least, you know, he alleges people, you know, wrote these comments or texted these comments or wherever they, uh, wherever they wrote this uh, material. Um, exactly as you said, he could have just made that up. Um, and I mean, I, I could see this being something where they say, oh, we can't verify or release because, you know, then we'd have to put out these citizens information and, you know, people might stalk them or try to intimidate them or something like that. So out of concern for their safety, we can't identify these individuals. Right. So it could be anything. He could have just totally made that up. It, it could totally be anything. And absolutely. This is this is the land of Hurricane Katrina and everything that went down. Not that long ago, we just did the 10-year anniversary last year. Same places, Jefferson Parish, same bridge uh, I mentioned at the top of the program. Uh, Other folks have comments? Thank you. For sure, for sure. Good to hear from Princess. Uh, Other folks, anybody we have not heard from at all, 9828, you should be with us. Yes, ma'am. This is Lady in New York. Um, I actually was just going to make the same comment about the um, press conference, uh, you know, not knowing if that was something that actually occurred, those messages, if they were actually sent, um, but you guys covered that. But the fire, um, fighter, um, extreme um, 
practice of racism and just kind of not uh, being accurate. This man obviously was attempting to murder his family and blame it on black people. Um, even with him setting the fire, why would he have booby traps? Um, this was an att- this is an attempted murder case. It shouldn't just be arson. It should be attempted murder. And um, but the first thing I thought of is white male wants to kill his family, wants to get rid of them. Um, easy scapegoat, you know, blaming on some black person, and uh, even easier blaming on a whole organization because I don't have to. Um, identify or say a particular black person I had a problem with that may have done this. So um, that's just what I think occurred with that situation. Um, With the um, white woman who was discussing the vandalism of her home, uh, I immediately went back to... um, a comment that I'm not sure if Roz or Thomas made this comment about the why would a white person um, have a black child knowing that they'd be subjected to abuse. Uh, so it was something along that those lines, it's not verbatim. And um, I just thought like, wow, what selfishness? Uh, what, is, what does she mean um, her son committed suicide because uh, he's biracial. Do you mean because he was being taunted because he was black? Um, Because I really don't believe uh, it was because he was quote-unquote mixed race. You know, was this uh, occurring in a town that was mostly white? Was this child going to a school that was mostly white? Um, You know, she needs to be honest and say, yeah, they're picking on my son because he was black. And I'm selfish, and I didn't care that I was bringing a child into this world who was black, who was male, and um, that he had to grow up and be subjected to abuse because he's not white. Um, you know, just pure selfishness to me. Um, so uh, that was just the the address of my comment, and I'll mute my line. Great point about the... Uh race soldier uh, who was going to kill his family. That's exactly the way that that should be stated. I can't even imagine, not that I take the white perspective that often, but I cannot imagine, like, find out about that. If you're his family, like, do you stay? <laughs> Are we divorced? Like, how do we, uh, so you tried to set the house on fire with us still in it. <laughs> What's for the, like, how do we proceed from here? And the point again, there are tons of illustration. You can just add that in of whites. They don't have to like other white people. <laughs> That's totally irrelevant to us trying to permanently end the system of white supremacy. But you can add that to your file as well. I think 1842 had brought that up before about white people uh, not really having that much love for other whites. Anybody that we missed totally hasn't heard from at all? Anybody? Oh, did we get everybody? Awesome. I will assume we got everybody. Uh, you have about 15 minutes, so do not lollygag. Wait till the last minute. If you have commentary, we should have time to go ahead and get you on. If you have other comments, I know 1482 said she had uh, more to share. I think there was at least... Oh, and I had a question for um, 
the black female whose neighbor uh, made all took her opportunity to get her free uh, nigra or saying nigger as many times as she could. I did want to get in also um, that report in South Africa. I was staggered like when I heard it again for the program when they said 100 percent of the teachers are white. Eighty percent of the students are black. One hundred percent of the teachers are white on the continent. White supremacy is the most accurate term to describe what this is, in my opinion. Uh, the situation with Brandon Marshall, because there were two different football players who were the victims of white terrorism this week, uh, the one whose house was ransacked uh, for the Giants, and then Brandon Marshall, who plays for the Broncos. He was one of the players, in addition to Colin Kaepernick, who was kneeling uh, and not standing for the national anthem. He is now standing, but he is still getting uh, all of these uh, terrorist threats against him. Um, in that clip, the white announcer, he said, Brandon Marshall, he's a defensive player. He's a linebacker for the Super Bowl champion, defending Super Bowl champion Denver Broncos. He's a defensive player. They said, wide receiver, oops, linebacker. There is another black male player who is a wide receiver who used to actually play for the Denver Broncos. Now he's with the New York Jets, the aforementioned New York Jets, uh, also named Brandon Marshall. He got all kinds of terrorist abuse by whites who didn't care which Brandon Marshall they were targeting. And they said so explicitly. I retweeted some of their posts where they said, I don't care which of you niggers it is, which Brandon Marshall it is, the hell with all of you. Uh, because uh, the one Brandon Marshall was not standing for the flag. And it was tons of these type of comments like the hell with all black people. I don't care uh, which one of you it is. And even whites, because they're not ignorant about racism, there were whites who predicted this was going to happen as soon as they found out that Brandon Marshall with the Denver Broncos, that he was not going to stand for the national anthem. They knew the other Brandon Marshall was going to catch it. They said uh, he is fitting to get all kinds of racist abuse by people who are too ignorant to take the time to figure out which one it is or don't care or whatever, whatever. Niggers and nigger, they're just going to go after everybody. Uh, other thing that I thought was important. The Young Turks, that was them in the clip where they were talking about the uh, report on the firefighters where they were saying lunatic, which I totally agree it's not lunatic. It's just white terrorism, call it what it is. But he said, uh, Sank, he said, conservatives will be the ones who will say that uh, black lives matter. They say pigs in a, pigs in a blanket, fry like bacon. Uh, it'll be conservatives. He didn't say racist. He didn't say whites. And that's another one of the subtle ways that they and many others, including Bill Maher, in my view, practice racism, uh, it's that I still don't have a good term. They will try to narrow the number of people, the number of individuals classified as whites that we think of as racist. They'll try to make it seem like there are some whites who are not racist, and then you just got these conservatives. You just got these old white people. You just got these Republicans, whatever it is. You just got these white nationalists. You just got the Trump supporters. Whatever tactic they take to just narrow it, it's not all of the individuals classified as white. It's just this few right here. Uh, I also, last thing I'll get in and then check in to see if anybody we missed. Uh, Cam Newton, lots of black football players had trouble this week. Cam Newton got fined, dress code violation, they said, for not packing a tie. A Yahoo report, they suggested that it was he was wearing cleats that had not been approved. The NFL, they have, like, lots and lots and lots of rules about uniform and what you can uh, what you can wear, policing predominantly black bodies of their players. Uh, but Yahoo, they reported, and I share the report, 
that he wore cleats that said something that it's, it was like all lives matter. It was something suggesting that they just had the Keith Lamont Scott thing in Charlotte this year. Racism has been a big issue in North Carolina. Uh, he was wearing these cleats before the game. They had uh, last weekend you could wear all these wacky cleats. And someone suggested in this Yahoo report that maybe these cleats were not approved, and that's why he got the fine. There was lots of talk this week that it was about a tie and all this other stuff and everything else, but I thought that was significant as well, that it was even uh, rumored as a possibility that this could have been a fine against Cam Newton. The reigning league MVP took his team to the Super Bowl, could have been fined for wearing uh, shoes that somehow referenced vaguely Black Lives Matter. Anybody that we missed completely uh, have comments? Anybody that we haven't heard from at all? Here. Your volume is very low. You need to speak up. I thought I just heard the female. Uh, yes, we can hear you. I thought I did just hear a female voice, but I don't hear you now. So if you want to speak up, that'll help. Caller in Alabama, proceed. Okay, yeah, I, um just wanted to make a comment about the the guy that um football player I forgot his name but he was murdered and and the guy um was released for murdering him. They brought him up on, on manslaughter charges. Uh did they, did they recharge him again? I'm I'm not sure I haven't been on the news lately. I'm just, I'm just kind of confused about that, and I just want a little more clarity. Uh, right now, as I understand it, he's facing uh, manslaughter charges. They did also, in between the or around the racial slurs, they did say that those charges could be upgraded, depending on the evidence and I guess what the attorneys decide. Uh, they could be downgraded as well. That was said, but from my knowledge. Uh, it's still manslaughter from where things stand now. And it's uh, that's the Joe McKnight situation down in Louisiana. Joe McKnight is the, the victim, deceased now, who was killed. And uh, Ronald Gasser is the race soldier who's in custody now. Can I be heard? Okay, thank you. Uh, let's see. Heard two different people. Uh, um. Go ahead, ma'am. I just wanted to make a quick comment. Um, something just came to my memory um, uh, regarding the white females uh, who have the quote-unquote biracial sons. I um, remember when I was 10, my cousin committed suicide as well. Mother was white. Um, and just cont- just remembering this thought of selfishness. Um, she married... And I, I vaguely remember this. I believe she was marrying a white male. Um, and he committed suicide because this male she was marrying molested him, um, you know, for a very extended time. He had started running away, getting into um, trouble, trying to get out of this household. And he begged her before he committed suicide not to marry him. And she went ahead and did it, and he hung himself. So, again, just selfishness of the white female. Um, I hadn't remembered that for a long time because I was 10, so that was over 20 years ago. And uh, I'll mute my line. Happy her? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I just want to also um, just piggyback on what she said in terms of white females. There was a caller who talked about uh, 
uh, the white woman talking about her hair. Um, it, they're not messing around with you. White women wear stringy hair. They wear the hairstyle the same way, and they are just in awe that a beautiful black woman can change our hair. We can add, we can take away negative, plus, curly, whatever we want to do their hair. And we wear it in so many different styles. They're extremely, extremely jealous. When I wear my hair curly, there will be women stop, white women stop, oh, your hair looks so beautiful. White men, oh, I love your hair. And one one. Oh, can I just feel how curly it's like? They're just this, this like this thing with the hair. You know, you look ever ever look at a white woman. Her hair is always straight, 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 straight. She tries to do something because they have to get it permed, but it doesn't last. But they're just truly in awe that we can just do so many creations with her their hair. So when they look at your hair and say that to whoever the sister was, they are really in awe. Thank you so much. While we have a moment, uh, the mother who was, uh, I guess, questioned the white neighbor wanted to share about uh, other racists in the neighborhood. She is not racist, but she wanted to share about the other racists in the neighborhood who call black children niggers. Uh, did you want to share how you would have responded to that situation, uh, knowing what you know now? Okay, um, well, sure. Um, well, now I will not willingly... Um, allow myself to be uh, subjected to racism, you know, so I would not have went over there. That would have been something that I would have, um, my son and his friends would have told me, and I just would have said, hmm, okay, well, just come on and stay inside the house, because they didn't tell me um, anything that had happened that was bad, or that they had heard anything. It just stated that uh, the neighbor wanted to uh, talk to me. And so by me knowing who my neighbor is, I would have never went and you know, give her any of my time. Spectacular. Spectacular. 7656, did you have commentary you wanted to share? 7656, or were you just listening? Hello. Um, thank you so much for taking my call again. I just wanted to say quickly, because it is getting cold where you live, you know, be careful. Um, like, when I would get cold, I have, a, it's not a real fur coat, but it's nice. And people would try to touch me and pet me like I'm an animal at the zoo. I had to tell this one white lady, I was like, I am not an animal at the zoo. Stop touching me. She was like, I'm just putting your coat. I said, well, I'm in the coat. So please don't touch me. So just be mindful that, you know, they would like you, like the young lady said, they want to touch your hair, they want to touch, they want to touch everything. And you had to constantly remind them, this is not the zoo, I'm not an animal, please stop touching me. Thank you. Right. Black self-respect. Self yes, ma'am, we can hear you. Um, actually, just on that, this is Jay from Ohio again. Um, Going back to the whole touching thing, I, I just wanted to do a quick update about I, I was the one where the white female at my job, she was very fascinated with my chest, and she would always touch my chest. I finally got the opportunity to tell her, like, hey, don't touch my chest. And actually what had happened was that um, she wanted to touch my chest again, but she had told me, like, oh, I'm not going to do it because your superior is right in eye shot, so I I won't do it. I'm like, no, just don't do that anymore, please. And um, she just kind of just smiled back. So I, I definitely understand. 
And she's also one of the people who like to touch my hair, too, when I have it in an afro. That's all. Thank you for taking that. Wow. I would definitely uh, make sure that, because that seems like, that seems very similar, your situation with this terrorist white woman, very similar to some of the other situations we've had with white women specifically, touching black females, not even, you know, sexually terrorizing other black males or non-white males, but black females, um, with the hugging and unwanted touch, where it's it's already been announced. I do not want to be touched. No touching. We can be courteous and all that, but I just don't want to do this. And they continue to do, even when they know that you don't want to be touched. The fact that she's acknowledging that, you know, this might be something that some people may think is incorrect, so I won't do it when your boss is here, and then I'll wait to do that when they're not here, and then the hair and everything. No touching at all. I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with that. I've tried to endure it. I'm a team, however you want to phrase it, but I would just make that boundary very clear. No touching of anything. Hair, fingernails, I mean, it should go without a question. Uh, bust area, anything else. Zero touch policy for the workplace. I would make that uh, very clear. No jokes, no nothing. And, you know, this is what it's supposed to be. Uh, let's see, 1842, did you have anything else you wanted to get in? I know you said you had other things, other notes. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, I, too, thought uh, the same thing about the firefighter, that he really just wanted to kill his family and blame Black people for it. Um, for the Whitlock um, segment of the show, one of the reporters asked, are they using, tr oh, that uh, they're using, oh, he said, I just hate that, I remember clearly, he said, I just hate that they're using Trump's name. And I was like, hmm, you know, it's possible that these people who were like vandalizing homes and spray painting swastikas with Trump's name is using Trump, or it's really quite possible that Trump is using them. And I just felt like that was, you know, I just, I did that because the assumption that they're using Trump is, you know, I see it, I see it the other way around. I've never been to a Trump rally and I don't know all the code words, which is what I'm learning. Um, but there's a lot of ways to pretty much say it's time to uh, go and terrorize more and increase that. Um, and then, you know, I know like it's like known that Ruth wanted to start the race war. Um, but I, I also like I bet, I just I would love to know what all he was listening to, all he was listening to, because there's so many. I feel like there are a bunch of roofs walking around, like they walk amongst us, and any little thing can set them off. Or one day there'll be a cold word or some a cold word or phrase or something like that, and it'll just be boom, bam, they're they're there, and here we are. And as Mr. Neely Fuller says, in the war. Um, I was really like the, the car and the driving is definitely um, like it's dangerous to even drive. Not that I haven't known that before, but I mean, you just want to like I whip in my whip. That's all I got to say. So if you move too slow, I will move. And to know that this car, all he wanted to do was pass this truck or whomever it was. And that they speed up, catch up and put nine bullets in his car. I'm the one that's out here in Virginia. I could easily see that happening um, out here. And I'm pretty sure it's going to at some point. But that was just something that I was, I mean, no, like there was no conversation, you know, back and forth, like 
with McKnight or anything like that, where it was like they aggressed each other. It literally was, I'm just going to go past you, and you're going to pass me, and then nine bullets in the car. Amazing. Um, and, you know, just because uh, Mumia, he says it over and over, it is interesting when you watch the footage of Scott's murder, um, Walter Scott's murder, how calm that guy, the, uh, um, I do not know his name, but that white terrorist race soldier was when he murdered him. Really, 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 really calm. Even when it was done. The only time he jogged was when he jogged back to his vehicle. Um, I mean, he was just like Freddy Krueger, if I'm saying it right. Um, And that's just something to note. Like, they are also really, really calm about this. This might be common knowledge to everybody else, but for me, it was like, whoa, he was really calm. Um, and with that, I'm satisfied. Thank you. Nightmare on Elm Street metaphor. Wow, we new territory for the cows. Uh, do we have uh, anybody else uh, final thought they wanted to get in before we wrap things up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, I just wanted to respond to uh, 1842's question. Um, I, I I had the same thought when the neighbor made the comment about the bulging eyes. Um, and I think a couple of other people in the courtroom did also because the judge kind of made this face when he, you know, said her eyes were bulging. Um, so, so I did take note of that um, as being a, a, a stereotype. And I, I kind of like sarcastically wondered to myself, oh, was he also going to say I had like superhuman strength and he feared for his life. Um, I, I have thought about getting cameras, um, but I think, uh, getting, uh, a firearm will probably come first. Um, the other, the other thing, uh, with regards to the man that was shot at while trying to pass the slow moving vehicle, um, it made me think about the, the laws that used to exist on the books about black people not being able to even pass white people when they were driving on the road. Um, and, and I do think there's a lot of um, regression that is starting to happen in terms of uh, some white people's interactions with black people, especially the shooting for, for, for little provocation or no provocation in some instances. Um, we just have to be very, very uh, cautious and protect ourselves to the best of our abilities going forward um, as best we can. Amen. Amen. That shooting incident that happened uh, just really underscored, and many other things, because it's just been so many of those types of incidents, the housing uh, situations and the school situations and the road rate situations just uh, really be mindful of that like that's not something that should be minimized uh, we should not you know think hey well this is Christmas or whatever any excuse to minimize and think that it's anything other than war uh, take it seriously and how quickly these situations I've been trying to emphasize that a lot over the last few weeks the quickness of these situations. This is not something that was, you know, I knew this person and we had words last week or whatever. This is, I just passed somebody on the freeway and 30 seconds later, they have emptied a full clip into my vehicle. I mean, 
repeatedly where that's exactly what you're hearing. I didn't know this person. I never saw this person before. I saw them, and five minutes later, literally, it was mortal combat. It just seems like it's more and more of those types of situations, particularly aimed at dark people. Uh, Take that seriously. Be mindful about the settings that you're in. Uh, For me, I really could not be in an environment where there is a lot of alcohol, drugs, that sort of thing. People were talking about that, even with the situation where uh, the black mother and her family, where they were terrorized by this racist. Now they got their peace order. Uh, Who knows what medications he was on or heroin or crack or who? I mean, whatever. Uh, Ross talks about that all the time as well. Just really be mindful of that. Talk about that with other people that you care about your children uh my suggestion is to look to get out of these situations immediately uh i mean i know people have their code about you know they're going to respond and counter violence and all of that uh, i'm of the opinion you want to be a professional soldier uh the self-defense thing i would hope that's last resort type of thing because that might not work out in your favor uh as things go but i would just be get out of there any of these situations you do not know if that white person is armed Are they on drugs? Is this an off-duty enforcement official? Is this the husband or the wife of an enforcement official? Do they have other armed white race soldiers that they can call and have them, you know, terrorize me and my family? I mean, you just have no idea how far things could get in a short period of time. Just keep that in mind. Be serious about it. Share with other people take it seriously. I feel like I hear that every week in the sound clips where some situation has happened and some white person comes out and, oh, we're taking it seriously. I don't believe them. For us, we should take this very seriously. Uh, We can get in one more comment, unless everybody is satisfied. Anybody have one last thing they need to get in? Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, man, um, the heroin abuse amongst white, um, it's also prevalent in the black community as well. But I'm noticing there's a lot of people are coming into the hospital with OD, whites from shooting it up or, or sniffing it, to say, but blacks from drinking it, um, mostly young kids um, drinking it. I think they call it lean. And I just find that to be very interesting how um, they found a way to get us hooked up one and two. And um, it's very addictive to drink. So I'll be very mindful of it, and I'll meet my mind thinking. The Washington Post, they just had an article this week, heroin deaths surpass gun homicides for the first time. Uh, The CDC had the data on this. I'm sure whites are a hefty part, but I mean, that's every time you can bank on that. That's what tends to happen. The system of white supremacy, things uh, that impact whites are a big problem for them. Eventually, it may take a little bit more time somehow ends up becoming a problem for non-white people, particularly black people, particularly anything that has to do with drugs or some sort of problem of that nature. So I'm not not surprised about that at all. I think that just, again, goes to, I think, Dr. Welsing and, and some other people who have just taken the stance about sobriety being best to make sure that it does not start out with one thing and end up being something else. Just, hey, forget all of this. We have major problems, and we need to devote Uh, our brain working at full capacity to coming up with concepts and ideas to solve this problem. With that, we did our uh, three hours. We will be here uh, coming up uh, in the week. It is about to be like ruthlessly cold here. I thought it was cold this week, which it was. It was in the 20s, uh, quite a few days uh, in Washington State, which is abnormal for this part of Washington. And uh, just, you know, brutally cold, in my opinion. 
this coming week, it's supposed to be like down in the 20s again. I even heard somebody say it's supposed to be in the teens. That is absurd. I don't, I even have a difficult time because it's so rare that it's that cold here. But I do not do cold weather at all. Uh, if it is down in the teens or anything like that, the tone of the cows will shift drastically <laughs> to just Gus is cold. And that's about all I have to say about anything. If it is that uh, brutally cold, um, I just am not a fan of cold weather. It's traumatizing. Uh, so. Hoping it stays warm if you're in some place uh, where it's really cold. I know in Ohio, I think they had brutal, brutal snowstorm the other day. I think we had callers there. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying warm. If the weather is not an issue, white people certainly are. Uh, remain codified. Stay serious. Sobriety would be best uh, in order to deal with racism, white supremacy, in my opinion. If you have any confusion, problems, tracking down anything in the archives, uh, if you can't find, if you have a guest suggestion, if you can't find something, uh, if you just have, you know, suggestion or other idea that you want to share, feel free until justice at gmail.com. If it's a guest suggestion, I prefer my email as opposed to Facebook. We have people in the Auburn area. I think that's uh, Auburn is in Auburn, Alabama. Uh, where if we have listeners in that, that are in that area, uh, they would like to connect. Uh, we have people in the Southern California area uh, that would like to connect uh, the Toronto area, the Leeds area, the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area that would like to connect. So if you're in one of those spots or a different area, just drop an email and make sure you put your geographic location like the city or the state, whatever it is. Put, just put that in the subject. So uh, Auburn contact or SoCal contact or London contact, Toronto contact, etc. Put that in the subject. I'll forward uh, or the scholarship that was mentioned for high school females. Drop me an email. I will forward it. I already got the email. So I'll just forward the information if you need that also. I hope everyone will stay safe. Uh, we will be back soon. Check the Black Talk Radio Network page or the Facebook page for updates. I uh, hope it has been a constructive investment of your Saturday evening. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.